So I happen to have a thought this week. Let's hear it. You know how every time that you turn on like a porch light or something like that, it's mm-hmm. late at night, immediately moths just yeah, yeah. go fucking crazy. Yeah, They're like, all over that thing, right? right? There was a meme. Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Did you ever stop to think that maybe what's going on there is that they see those butterflies that everybody seems to like so much. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they like them because they've got such beautiful colors and stuff. Maybe if I just got a tan, maybe people <laughs> would like me too. Oh, They're trying to use that as like a little moth tanning bed. Moth. Do you think that could be happening? That's probably what it is. Maybe then they'll like me. Maybe then. Oh, <laughs> I'm so dull and brown. <laughs> maybe if I just get myself a tan on this nice hot light bulb, <laughs> they'll start liking me better. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to the greatest horror movie podcast in this galaxy and beyond. Why it's dead and lovely here with the hosts with the most. All are welcome. All are welcome here to join this podcast with me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. This hus is clean. It's me, Hollywood Steve. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right now, Steve, this hus is not clean. <laughs> we are like yeah. dead in the middle right of in the center of moving. Getting yeah. ready to move. Yeah. Basically mm-hmm. every room looks like Carol Ann's room where it's just like stuff yeah, spinning around. Just in and, one corner and yeah. Yeah. It pretty much looks like that right now. Mm-hmm. It is sheer pandemonium. If I gave you the list of like everything that we've done to the house this week yeah. to get stuff ready. It would just make your fucking head spin. I mean, I've, I would not. I do not envy you. It sucks, you dude. That. And like, I've moved before mm-hmm. out of rentals to rentals, yeah, or whatever, yeah, you know. But this is the first time that we're like selling a house and buying a house, and it's like, if you can imagine how you know, whenever you're moving out of a rental, and you're like, we got to get this place spick and span so we can get that mm-hmm. security deposit right. back. Got to clean that oven. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Imagine how hard you work when you're like, I got to get this place spick and span to see if somebody can buy it for more money than i paid for it imagine how hard you work to get that that done. sounds fun holy fucking god isn't i am that, exhausted isn't that the dumbest overall industry what's that like the idea that you purchase a house and the next person should pay more money for it well they're Doesn't making infinitely climb they're making more people but they ain't making more land well, we're, we actually problem. don't have a housing shortage. We have enough houses for every single homeless person to live in a house. Those houses are just empty. Yeah, but they're they ain't owned, got no jobs. They're owned by rich people. <laughs> and a lot of them are foreign <laughs> rich people. <laughs> meaning that the homeless in our country the actual are Americans. working at a house owned by someone who doesn't live in the country and they can't even go into it. <laughs> ain't that America? Ain't that America? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, I am just beat down. I, I mean, as somebody that like, you know, makes their living sitting down or at the most standing up playing guitar, mm-hmm. I am just not accustomed to this amount of physical labor. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you got those forearms of steel. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you can hear it, but you can hear my veins popping. It's really gross. Uh-huh. You can hear it right now. Those are the veins popping free. It was insane. Yeah. Been going through a lot of booze yeah. this week. Got to deal with it, Well, because right? liquor boxes are the best thing to pack your shit mm-hmm. in because they're so small and sturdy. They but don't come empty. They don't come empty. That's the no. problem. You get them and it's got all this liquor in a box. What are you going to do with it? If you want to make the most of the space, you got to drink the liquor out of the box. That's right. So I've been working a lot on that. Oh my god, dude. And somewhere in the middle of this week, I found myself on stage playing guitar with Weasel Zappa. I saw that. What in seven hells? You didn't expect that? No. That's fun. Yeah, it was pretty much amazing. Honestly, a real, like, 
jewel of my career of, yeah. of playing music. I would really, really, really fucking cool. And yeah, I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan. Yeah. And Dweezil is the guy that got me into Frank Zappa because of his Zappa Plays Zappa tour, where he oh, keeps okay. his dad's music alive. That's what got me obsessed with Frank Zappa in the first place. So, okay. you know, pretty amazing stuff to be on stage with such a cool cat and That's phenomenal really cool. player. Very cool stuff. I, I'll tell you this. If somebody plays guitar good or bad, I probably can't tell. Okay. All right. Yeah. I just assume. Like, if people are like, Eric Clapton's good, I'm like, okay. And then if somebody else is like, he's not really that good, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Either way, you're on board. Yeah. All I hear is tones. <laughs> Notes. Uh, none of it. Like, if somebody screws up. Like, I've seen I've seen it, like, uh, just at, at uh, shows, like, in high school. Uh-huh. When like somebody a friend would mess up on stage and they're kinda like disappointed. Like, oh, I'm damn. Like, I don't I didn't notice. <laughs> Did you mess up? Okay. Dude, that's the thing, is like <laughs> most of the time if you're on stage and you fuck up, most people don't know yeah. unless you draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. I've had so many shows where I just fuck stuff up but just don't care and just you know, kick my legs in the air and, and throw my arms all around and wave around and people are like he's nailing it wow he's not even playing guitar right now because his arms are in the air <laughs> <laughs> your arms are in the air and they're thinking he's nailing it it's the best guitar player I've ever heard he doesn't even play it doesn't even play it yeah it's exactly awesome. he just commands it he kicks his legs through the air and he plays and somehow. he holds his hands up yeah. my brains are mush Steve I bet it's I fun. am just fried yeah how's your week been man never had to sell a house I agree with you. It's probably the worst. But I'll tell you what. One more just closing thought Uh about this whole relocation thing. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to undergo a little bit of, let's say, what we call rebranding. We've talked about the importance of rebranding on the show. And I know you've been hitting the gym and stuff a lot yourself here. rebranding myself. I have been engaging in this new exercise program that I call relocational calisthenics. Oh. Yeah. Everything that you need in your house is your gym. Your house is your gym, Steve. Basically, if you want to get into shape, get a job working for a moving company. I was thinking about that, and it's like most of the guys you see working for moving companies are like big, fat slob guys. Right now, there's some guys... They're also very strong. (laughs) Yeah, they're very strong. I was going to say, too, right now, there's like one of our listeners that's like listening to this on his headphones as he's like doing a moving job. He's like, hey! Hey! (laughs) (laughs) He's a thick king, okay? He is, Get off his back. He is. He's doing work for himself. Uh, So what have I been doing? What have I been doing? I watched some football. Watched some football. Yeah, I got, I got another bit of sad. I didn't. I didn't have as much time to watch, uh, but I got to see some cool games. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a lot of downtime. Uh, if anybody noticed a difference in the quality of last episode, Booyah. that's because I've started editing the podcast. If it was great, you'll take all the credit. Yeah, if it, it wasn't great. I'll take all the blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I've reached a point in my life where I'm just like, yeah, I just can't. I just yeah, can't. Yeah, and it's only it's only like a few extra hours for me, which was like fine. But what I found out was I've never listened to a podcast and just listened to the podcast. And yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing when you're editing a podcast. Mm-hmm. You can't be doing other things. Yep. So I kept finding myself just listening to the podcast and like doing stuff on my desk or like reading on my phone and then be like, fuck, no, I need to yep. be listening for mouth noises and too many ums. Exactly. And dude, that, that's every that's totally, time Ben says the N word. Exactly. Always got to clip them out all, all the time. It's half the words. <laughs> dude, that was always my thing whenever I've been editing the show for the past few years. Yeah. Is I'll be like, maybe I can multitask and play some nope. guitar. No, you can't. You can't. It's the worst. So but you have to dedicate the whole. I'd say it takes maybe about 
an hour more than the length of the episode. Yeah. About that. Yeah, usually. It's not too bad. Right. Yeah. There's something about it that is, is kind of like chill and calming. Yeah, it's really zen. Yeah, I, I, I found myself, especially like when I would find like little... Like I, I, I find little tick noises or something just yeah. going real deep in and cutting that little slice out and then hearing it and it not being there. And it's just like, ah, now it's better. That's what I wanted. Yeah. I think what I'm going to start doing, though, just to make your, your job of editing a lot easier, <laughs> I'm going to start eating popcorn during the show. That should help. Yeah, that should help. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think you should know I have to do it with my mouth open I'll just get, as I chew. I'll just, I'll just get uh, a soup in a, a bread bowl. <laughs> And just slowly <laughs> slurp it, and then when I'm done, just chaw down on the bread bowl. Where <laughs> 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 you're chewing on celery. That would be terrible. Actually, what I'll do is I'll eat all the stuff in on the show that they ate in the movie. Oh, okay. So on this, I'd be like eating a bunch of celery because uh-huh. Dana chomps a bunch of celery in this what movie. Else they eat? There's some cereal, some I believe. steak and wings. Steak and wings, yeah. <laughs> There's some Pizza Hut mentioned, but never appears. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be like our new YouTube channel is like we eat Whatever everything they mentioned. ate in that movie. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then everybody's requesting Texas Chainsaw Master. <laughs> like, oh, no. no. <laughs> raw. <laughs> yeah, just human. Yummo. I was, I was about the movie Raw. Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> yeah. delicious. Exactly. Take a bite out of somebody. <laughs> Eat your sister, I guess. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't have a sister, so I can't, you know? <laughs> All right, let's share. You can, you can eat half of my sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, editing the show to me is just a good chill time. It and is, I, yeah. And I'll miss it at times, for sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I started that, and... And working on some other projects and working on this. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit of that. It was a little bit rushed, but not too bad. Excellente, man. Yeah, you you been watching anything? Yeah, I have. I, that, in fact, I had a little downtime. I, I had just finished The Good Place, and I was like, I don't really pay attention to Netflix much. What they got on here that I might like. Who's on Netflix? That's what I said. Who's on Netflix? Who's on here? Um, And I, I found a movie called we have always lived in the castle never heard of it well 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 now it's based off of a book by i think shirley jackson one of them libros mm-hmm. okay i believe it's shirley jackson she also did a house on haunted hill or haunting of hill house yeah haunting hill i believe it's shirley jackson i'm okay. not positive on that but it stars uh tysa farmiga who was in um the final girls yeah, sebastian yeah. stan winter soldier himself Oh, that guy, um, cool. Alexander Daddario um, and Crispin Glover. Oh, it's got the Crispin there, yes. huh? Okay, I'm so, interested. And it's, it's really pretty focused on those four in this house. So it, it, it's a lot of them, and it's a they're great. Just a real great cast. I love Crispin Glover, man. It's a slow burn. Is it horror? Uh, yes, but no. I would say it's... It's got indication. It's Southern Gothic. It's got indications of like past horrors and terrors, and then there's like fear and stuff to it. But is it more suspenseful than more anything? More of a thriller, maybe. Yeah, but it's definitely it's it's worth a watch. I think it's That's not slow, even though it's a slow burn. It's not a slow movie, mm-hmm. and it it'll maybe remind you a little of Stephen King near the end with some of the dialogue and that kind of comes from Stephen King's love of Shirley Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. Consider the source. So, 
I enjoyed that for sure. And I also watched Between Two Ferns, the movie, which just came out on Netflix. That's a Zach Galifianakis, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Zach Galifianakis, uh, Lauren Lapkus is in it, Ryan Gall. Okay, Gall. awesome. And it's directed by Scott Ackerman. Oh, damn. Then, it's a dream team of yeah. comedy. And then they have uh, Keanu Reeves, Matthew McConaughey. Canoe? Yeah. Who else? Brie Larson does an interview. There's there's damn. a lot of like big name interviews. That's awesome. Yeah. So, wait. Is it just like a bunch of interviews and they call it a movie? Or no, is there a no, story? They put a, they put a story to it. But it still has like the interviews. So, like there, there will be like some behind the scenes bit to the interview or whatever. But... Mm-hmm. It, it is a lot like a Between Two Ferns interview. It's just shorter and a part of a larger narrative. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really funny. It was a fun... I enjoyed the movie. Awesome, man. Yeah. Did you guys get together for that stream the other night? Yes, we did. Oh, man. For, so, if, you're, if you're a new listener, we do a live... Well, I say we. It's mainly, yeah, it's mainly yeah. Steve. But, uh, well, the, the group, the Steve DNL the family, group. it's a yeah. lot of the same people and new people all the time, it seems. All are welcome. All, all are welcome. welcome. That's for sure. And that's over on our Discord yeah. server. Yeah, we do the stream usually through Watch Together, which allows you to stream uh, stuff from YouTube. Oh, cool. Basically, so that you're all on the same, you're all synchronized. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you guys watch we'll time. chat on Discord. We we watched Cellar Dweller, which was chosen by birthday boy John Latour. Oh, happy birthday, John Latour. He's and a good boy. I didn't think it was totally terrible. Okay. Yeah, like in comparison to, say, like Suburban Sasquatch, it was watchable. And it, it had the dude from Reanimator. Okay. He yeah. was the main guy. It had some other stuff that was pretty cool, but it still was pretty shit. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah. not that great. And then we watched Mons Turd, which I, have I don't even need Mons to tell Turd. you Mons Turd is bad. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah, I, I watched that forever ago. We used to do these things when we were in college of just getting together with all of our friends and watching like the worst, the movies. shittiest. Yeah. yeah, whatever looked like the worst thing they had, like at Blockbuster mm-hmm. was, it's what we'd rent. And we'd also rent like uh, like really cheap shitty porn and stuff like that and watch it as a group. It was so <laughs> fun, fun, man. It was it was it was like a really great time. And I think one time we watched Monsterd. Monsterd. And uh, yeah, as you could predict, is well, very terrible. What, I I thought it was pretty obvious that they were going for monster. But when I said to my wife Monsterd, she heard like Mons like <laughs> Mons pubis. <laughs> Turd. So like a turd coming out of the monster. <laughs> now that would be terrifying. Yes. I hadn't considered it that way. Okay. So I assume that. So she was a little let down. Yes. Yeah, she was. She was not excited for that idea. <laughs> but a good time was had by all. Yeah, it was great. We had fun. Um, I don't remember monster well. Yeah, you yeah. was it. You was in your cups, wouldn't you? I was in my cups. I got I, my my tolerance is low. I have now at uh, I have lost forty pounds now. Damn. Yeah. Damn. 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 So dude. I'm I'm becoming a skinny mini and uh, cheap cheap date cheap drunk. Yeah. Huh? And I also because I'm not drinking beer. Yeah. Drink is just not as fun. Like to just drink vodka soda. Who's that fun for? It right. Doesn't really taste great. It's just water. Whatever. It'll get you drunk. It will. But, you know, so I've been drinking less and I weigh less. So a couple drinks and I was like, holy shit. Well, I don't know about you too, but I always found like during during my brief stints where I've tried to do like a super low carb, like less than oh, 20 yeah. carbs a day and stuff like that for a couple of weeks, like 
I get drunk way faster. Yeah. There's something about like not having carbohydrates in me or something. I don't uh, know what the deal well, is. Well, because it, your body is looking for the easiest source to burn. And if there aren't other carbs in your system, that alcohol, it seems like, is going to be the first thing it burns. And then it starts eating into your spirit energy. Yeah, then it starts falling from your spirit energy. Uh-huh. And then after a while, a little bit of fat. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the problem is that you know people that live on that Atkins diet and stuff, Real weak ghosts. Wow. Really, really weak. The weakest type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They would not do a good haunting at all. That Atkins guy that died of like a heart attack, you know, on his doorstep. Do you think his house is haunted? Fuck no. His doorstep might be. That's as far as he can go. Yeah, exactly. Because he's... Ooh, a haunted doorstep. Ooh. I'll just walk right in the house. I'll spook these Girl Scouts, I guess. Ooh. Uh Uh-huh. Get away from me with your carbohydrates. Oh, meanwhile... I'm going to be a strong ghost because I got all these carbohydrates I've been eating my whole life. It's true. Uh-huh. Dario Gento, he's going to have <laughs> that dude, a massively powerful Dario ghost. Dario Gento is going to be more powerful in death than he ever was in life. I am spaghetti ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Time to make it a pizza yeah. from beyond. From beyond. Oh, man. I Carbs can't wait make for strong Dario Gento's first posthumous movie that he makes. And it's going to be a posti- posthumous. Posthumous. Posthumous movie. Posthumous. <laughs> I wish that there was like this new ad campaign going on for like carbs make strong ghosts brought to you by the <laughs> national pasta association <laughs> yeah just remember kids if you don't eat your spaghetti you can't come back as a spirit whoa mom <laughs> spaghettios <Moms>. please <laughs> i'll drink to that steve what do you awesome. want to drink on first dude we got two selections for the day well uh what do we got here we got a sour and this is an ipa well, let's go with the ipa first. let's start Probably. with that so big boy right there blast the old Hung off. So this is one that Kate brought home from the Merchants of Beer in Knoxville. It's from the Avery Brewing Company from Boulder, Colorado. Oh, I don't know if we've had any. It is their double-digit hazy IPA, Imperial Juicy and Hazy India Pale Ale. I had uh, two of these yeah. so far, and it's fucking amazing. I'm excited I for think this. that you're going to like this and very much. And it is much. 10%. I was going to say, yeah, that's the biggest like shocker of this entire thing is yeah. that when you try this, you're not going to believe that it's 10%. It is so fucking delicious mm. and nice. And you know that I like things that are nice. Yeah, I know that to be true. I like nice things, which is why I like this. Also, I like Fritos. I know what I like. I, I like Fritos. Fritos. Reba. I'm Reba. Now oh, this, man, that smells great. Yeah, and it is an impenetrable cloud yeah. of juicy goodness. Very juicy. Yeah, it is definitely no see, not see-throughable. What do you think about that? Isn't that fucking awesome? Yes. Right? What it's is like that? ridiculously good. I know. Oh, my God. It's like hazy, funky, juicy, hoppy. I want this... Always, yeah, yeah. I want like a a, a tap oh. on my faucet that's devoted to just this. What you find in there? Got some oats in there. Mm. I was tasting something that was just way different than I've ever tasted in an IPA. Hence that creamy mouthfeel, because mm-hmm. it does have a nice soft, fluffy kind of taste yeah, to it. You know, it does. That's can you really believe that's ten percent? No, I cannot. Like that's damn near wine strong. <laughs> Yeah. That's nuts yeah. to me. That's Moscato strong. Yeah. But this is also I'm like... Sure that's yeah, that's Moscato, Moscato strong. strong. So kind of. Kind of strong. <laughs> like, do you want that lifted? No, I can't do that. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Like, half of that. Half <laughs> yeah. Of that. Let's, let's try less. <laughs> Moscato strong. 
But the thing about it is, too, is it's like not all that sweet. Yeah, it's not. You know? It's got a good like, uh, it's got a good resin to it, a good fruitiness to it. Like, mm-hmm. not not very sweet. I'm a big old fan of that right there. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. While I have been uh, packing and stuff like that, we have managed to put on a few different things on the television. Oh yeah. And watch them as we frantically pack boxes and fix mm-hmm. stuff and all that jazz. And uh, you know, one of the big things that I'm struggling with with this whole move situation is that. I'm not able to decorate the house for Halloween. That you know, we, we usually just decorate top to bottom yeah. and stuff. Not doing that because obviously the house is going to be on the market. Yeah. So we decided the other night, it's like, well, let's put on some like great like TV Halloween specials. Okay. You know, just to kind of get in the spirit. I know it's like September right now, but to me, Halloween is a two month long yeah. event. It's September and October. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, uh, the first week in November might as well be. And, yeah, come on. Yeah, the stuff still got still the Halloween be hangover. I'm not taking all those things down Shit, for no. the first week. No, absolutely not. So we watched through a couple of the completely fantastic, amazing Halloween episodes of Community. Yeah, which are great. so goddamn uh-huh. good, man. Mm-hmm. We only did one, two, and three. Okay. I didn't want to get into the ones that like are from seasons I haven't watched all of oh, okay. yet. You yeah. know, season four. Uh, I don't really care for it's the first episode of the season i don't care for that season in general it's, it's just, the one that harman didn't do, yeah right yeah and it's it's just off it it falls into so many uh sitcom tropes that i hate got like it. the reason why i liked community was because it avoided those things it used tropes of course dan Harmon's huge on tropes mm-hmm. but it it always had like some commentary sort of on those tropes whereas in season four it just seemed to be like these are the tropes let's just do the thing yeah Man, that first one where you've got Abed as Batman yeah. is just <laughs> a fucking treasure. I'm oh, Batman. my God. Just every time he goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying it all week. Like, yeah. every time Kate asks me a question, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking good, man. The second one's a zombie one with uh-huh, the, that the, the really outbreak, good. which is fantastic. And uh, the third one is where, like, Britta thinks one of them's a psycho killer. Right. That one's my favorite. Holy cow. They yeah. sit around and tell the scary mm-hmm. stories and stuff. Yeah. I don't think they did another one after season four. I don't believe there is one in season five or six. Oh, bummer. Might be wrong in season five. But anyway, I, I just watched season six. I know they don't have one in there. Okay. Yeah. But it's I such also, a fucking I also good show. recently, because I'll just fall back on community a lot. Because yeah. I, I know it backwards and forwards. I've seen it so many times. Like, if I don't want to find something new if i just want something on in the background community 30 rock something like that totally yeah. and community right now is on hulu they got all the yeah. seasons on there so if you guys have never watched it again i've only watched the first three seasons that dan Harmon did yeah but i can tell you they are three of the funniest seasons of any tv yeah. show i've ever watched and if you if you start season four i say skip it but if you start season four and you get real tired of it again skip it just yeah. go straight to season five it, it's real good again does it just kind of ignore everything that happened yes, in they, they refer to it as the the is, is it like the gas year? The gas leak year. They, oh, they, really? Supposed, yeah, there's a gas leak the whole year. <laughs> That's why they were all acting that way. I love that. That's such a yeah. great way to like explain that stuff. Dan uh, Harmon is a fucking genius. Dude. He is. He a is. fucking yeah. genius. And he, he's man, I, I just started season three of Harmon Quest. I mean, not he's just involved in that as a character. That's all Spencer Crittenden. He he does it all. But Harmon Quest is great. It's a bunch of celebrities playing a D and D game, 
Oh, really? Yeah. And like they in, animate in, it. in real life. In real life, they're sitting in front of an audience playing a D&D game. It's a simplified version to make it more entertaining, obviously. Okay, yeah. Uh, but then they animate Holy what shit. they do. It's a really cool show. That's really yeah. cool. That's awesome. And nobody's like in character or anything. It's like, they'll oh, no, be yeah, Keanu no, Reeves. I mean, and... they're talking as themselves and then as the character. But like, it's just like... They're they're all like they have guests on who've never played D and D, and it's like it's not about D and D. It's about how funny it is the way they improvise these things. Awesome, and the way the stories develop. Because Spencer, like, he has things that he wants to happen, but he kind of lets them navigate how that happens. That sounds and it great. Gets real goofy, yeah, and real funny. And like, yeah. So I've been enjoying that. Cool, man. I'd say the only other like bit of, of entertainment I've kind of enjoyed this week as I've been working my ass off and stuff, uh, I've been listening through the It audiobook still. All right, you're still doing that. Yeah. yeah. I started that a couple weeks ago. So I you're am, like a quarter of the way through? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I've put in about 40 hours worth, so I'm just getting started. Yeah. Man, the depth is, is nuts. Yeah. It is insane. Uh-huh. Not necessarily always needed or hyper entertaining to have all of this no. depth to everything. Like I just listened to the whole like side story about that guy that like chopped up that other feller with the axe in the bar, like uh-huh. in, in the early 1900s in Derry and shit, yeah. and like nobody really noticed or cared. But yeah. one of the parts I got to today that I thought was really interesting was all the stuff with Patrick uh, Hockstetter. Hock yeah. Dude. Yeah, he's real fucked up. They, Holy they shit. Kind of, that's like disappointing to me that they didn't bring that in. I know. To to the new it. But he was basically Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, like a young Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he had like the the homosexual tendencies, killed animals, yeah. was a straight up sociopath. Yeah. All the stuff about him like murdering his baby brother and uh-huh. shit and thinking that he was like the only real person in the world. Yeah, that Holy is Holy cow. I mean all that stuff was nuts. That's I mean, that's not every serial killer, but a lot of serial killers fall into that idea that the world is just a projection from inside themselves. And so whatever they do for their own entertainment isn't bad because it's not real. It's not happening to real people. Yeah. That's how he kind of described it and stuff in the book is like all these animals and stuff he killed. It's like, well, they weren't real. Right. So it didn't even matter. It was really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very cool. So I'm enjoying the book so far, man. I can't disagree because I haven't read it since middle school. Yeah. But I enjoyed it in middle school. I remember being it being more about the accomplishment of reading such a large book, mm-hmm. but enjoying it the whole time. Run right on, yeah. man. Run right on. Do you plan on doing any like All Hallows read, like getting to a spooky book or something for the Halloween season coming up here? No. Sick. Yeah, I doubt it. I <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I pick up a fiction book and immediately get disgusted by either the opening sentence or the opening paragraph. I have, <laughs> in the past few years, not made it past the first chapter of most books. Last time you picked up a book, you're like, in the beginning. Oh, God, what a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, though, is that, like, if I pick up, uh, if I picked up David Copperfield, I am born. It's a fucking great opening line, especially... Pretty tight. Especially because of all it says to you about the person writing this book. It first tells you that the narrator of the book is the person the the book is about. Right. Uh, It tells you this person is not a very good storyteller. 
Nobody would start with I am born. That's that's going back a pretty far yeah. piece. I think it would be better. Okay, two critiques. Yeah. If that if if maybe one of these books started off with he wasn't born. Now I'm oh, intrigued. Oh damn. Well, see that's where that that is where uh literature lost me is uh beginning in World War 1 with the the real shift toward postmodernism. Mhm. When it starts getting all up its own ass. That's when it all lost me. That's when I'm all just like, I don't care. How about they hasn't born? Would they that hasn't, hook you? They hasn't born. <laughs> I, it also, it, I just, it's like the person who takes a typewriter to Starbucks to me. The moment <laughs> that we got movie making machines in our pockets yeah. and somebody still insisted on writing a book, why? <laughs> you could have made that a movie. And it would have been more entertaining. Okay. All I right. I get it. I'm Listen, I have a degree in English literature. I got two of them. This is just one of these self-hating English lits coming I, out right now. I'm just saying to you that the value of books beyond World War I, for me, pretty low. Before that, <laughs> amazing. Now, hang on, though. Wasn't Dianetics written after World War I, yes. Steve? That's kind of where it all went downhill right there. <laughs> Dianetics, I think. No, I'm just saying, like, if you want to read an, a super entertaining postmodern book, I tell you, go back to the 18th century to Lawrence Stern. That's my guy, huh? Mm-hmm. Tristram Shandy. Read that book. First off, it's one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life. And second off, you'll be like, oh, people in the uh, 18th century thought the same way we do now. Oh. It's always a good insight because so much of writing in that time was about being formal and prosaic and trying to show off how smart you were. Uh, And this book, uh, Lawrence Stern's Tristram Shandy, is more about indulging in the silliness and indulging in the, the whimsy of thought and following crazy weird patterns. And also, one of the first things that happens in the book is he gets accidentally circumcised while trying to pee out a window. That's that's hooking me right there. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty strong start. If a pretty strong start to and a book. And if you don't even want to read that far before <laughs> before you fully invest in Tristram Shandy, go ahead and watch A Cock and Bull Story, which is a movie about an attempt to make an adaptation of Tristram Shandy. And it stars Gillian Anderson and that British guy. That one. That's the one. That's the one. It's literally not much about the book but that's what the book is the book itself is not much about itself like it it's like all over the place funny ridiculous silly just sit down and try to read it whenever i write my book and the first line is it all began with the drive-by circumcise <laughs> are you gonna keep going or not no no, you're no. dropping it after yeah, that. Yeah, because like so many books, drive now, by circumcised. So Steve. many books now are just about being edgy with that first sentence. All right, that's fair yeah, enough. I don't want that. I don't want edge. I don't want any of it. I just want to. I want a story. Give me some Jane Austen. <laughs> I don't want. Any, Give me some Jane Austen. Yeah. Said someone yeah. hundreds of years ago. The only thing I, I will dis- <laughs> I will disagree with myself on this a little bit. Genre fiction, I think, desert has a right to exist. Like science fiction, horror. I think there's a good reason to sit down and read a horror book 
because it immerses you in a way a horror movie can't. I'll be honest with you. I kind of blanked out for the first part of that sentence because when you said genre fiction, I thought that was some French author I'd never heard of. <laughs> I'm speaking of, of course, genre fiction. Genre fiction. Yeah, yeah genre <laughs> fiction. So like horror can pull you in in a way through a book that a movie can't do. Yeah. Science fiction books can do things that they can't do well in film. Sure. So I get that. I get those things. I don't know. Anytime somebody writes a memoir now, my memoirs, uh, we can look at your Twitter. (laughs) Like seriously, do I need your memoir? You're on the internet your entire life. It's all there. I know what happened. I don't want your version of it. (laughs) What a bunch of douches. (laughs) I think this is a true thing though. A lot of people who go through graduate programs in anything wind up hating that thing in yeah. some fashion, like some former fashion. I think it's because you, you get you see the underbelly, you see like what it really is, and you know that you know that when you read that line, how clever the person thought they were when they came up with it. <laughs> and it's like you're not clever. Come on. You're not clever. I will not call you Ishmael. There's a semicolon you. in your first sentence. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, the subject of our podcast today is none other than one of the all-time Hollywood horror giants. We're talking about Poltergeist. The new one, right? No, of course. You watched the new one, didn't Everyone's you? favorite. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about Poltergeist from 1982. I did. Well, have you, you've watched the the remake. It yeah. is an abomination. I watched it one night um, when I I had had a little bit to drink, and you probably I probably hadn't had enough. I get mean to movies when I drink, and that movie didn't make. Did you show it the back of your hand. I did. It's like 10 minutes in. I was like, "What the fuck? No!" It's I so just turned it off. Bad. I couldn't do it. It's it, so fucking it bad. It lost all of the charm of this movie. Absolutely yeah. so, yeah. It's one of those ones that I was just like, did they even watch the original? I, you can't I, have watched like, it. The thing, you can't have. If you, if you just look it up, Poltergeist 2015, the thing you'll see more often than not is a picture of that clown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's on to like me, it was stuff. that the person who wanted to remake it was really fucked up by that clown scene as a kid, and they were like, that's what the movie is, right? And yeah, then they the went back movie. and watched it, and they were like, I like the clown part. Let's just, just go with that. Let's go with that. Let's keep going with yeah. that. And it is just a, uh, it's a winner of a movie. Yeah. This is one of those ones I actually did not grow up with. I'll, I'll talk about that as we get on right. to the movie review portion. But before we get into that stuff, Steve, you know, there's some talk in this flick. Yes, there is. About what's going on inside of the house. What's the deal with the ghosts in this house? What's the deal with these ghosts? Is it a what haunting? Is it a poltergeist? Is it a booger or a haint? It might be a haint. It might be a haint. <laughs> Do you know it would be really awesome? <laughs> that right down lovely. If we did like this entire like remake or spin on this movie that would just call haint. Haint. <laughs> or booger. Booger. That was a, basically the story it's of the this. It's the same thing. It's a southern suburb. It's just redneck though. Yeah. And it's just rednecks living. Uh, rednecks in a trailer park. Yeah. Rednecks in a trailer park. It's called haint. There's cans of skull flying around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they get they get that 60-year-old woman who says she's not religious but spiritual to come and clean the house. <laughs> she's, she smokes a bunch of cigarettes and then leaves. <laughs> she pulls out some sage from yeah. like a, a McCormick uh, uh-huh. shaker spice container. Yeah. It's all I had. She lights it up with her cigarette. <laughs> yeah, hey, she'll be about clean now. It's, how, it's good. She'll be all right. It's as good. 
I mean, the different there'd be no difference because in this movie, Zelda Rubenstein's character actually makes zero difference. No, no. Really. She helps him get the girl out, but she doesn't actually stop the poltergeist. Anyway. <laughs> There's so many kinds of ghosts and spirits and stuff out there, Steve. I just got to thinking. I was like, man, I wonder what kind we might be whenever we die. Well, Ben, why don't we just slide on into the preview palace? Welcome to the preview palace. That was a reverse. I got to do it that we did time. It, yeah. That was fun. I can see why you do it all the time. It's, really it's pretty fun. fun. <laughs> and we're going to ask the wizards here at BuzzFeed. When we die, what kind of ghost are we going to become? Yeah, Hannah Jewell and Becky Barnacle uh, work together on this Dac one. Tag so, team champs. Yeah. Damn, man. All right, we're going to find out about it here. What sound do you make when you get out of a deep, soft chair? <laughs> An audio question. I like where yeah. this is going already. Hmm. Ooh. Oof. Oof. Okay. Ugh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I am noiseless as the infinite night. I think right now, given the amount of like lifting and bruising my shins and yeah. beating myself up, uh, beating myself up that I've been doing while I've been moving all this stuff. I think lately I've been having a lot of hmms. Yeah. Every time I get up. Yeah. So I've got to go with answer number one. Um, I've been working out a lot. Just bragging. Hey, you oh, know, lost 40 pounds, whatever guys. No big deal. <laughs> uh, so I, my muscles are always a little bit sore. Uh, and so I have found myself every time I go to stand up going, oof. <laughs> yeah. Every single time. Just like, oh. <laughs> no. All right. See, what's your favorite time of day? Is it an early morning, a delicious lunchtime, hmm. mid afternoon, evening, late at night, or the witching hour? What's the difference between late at night and the witching hour? I think the witching hour is specifically like three, isn't it? Okay. So that's, that's like for me, super late. That's what yeah. I was thinking was late at night. So late at night, they mean 10, I assume. I'm thinking like late at night starts at 10. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense to me. I would say for me, the witching hour. Yeah. Favorite time of day. Because right then at about, it's like I go to sleep around five to six. Uh-huh. And right at about three, I feel like I, I get my most productive couple of hours before i start to feel tired yeah i know what you mean yeah i know what you mean yeah i'm also in that same camp and i've heard all kinds of theories about that like i always used to do all my best artwork late at night and like mm -hmm. write tunes late at night and stuff yeah. it's because your brain's like preparing for rem sleep yeah you know Creativity, so you start the crazy easy. ideas yeah i don't know how people do it early in the morning like yeah, early you have to be morning, very my brain is just a little cloudy like yeah. it's not until i've had lunch that i start to really feel like I can think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with a late at night because for myself, yeah, usually after, you know, 10 o'clock or so, that's when I start getting my good yeah. ideas and the smooth muscle relaxant that I consume called alcohol starts well, that kicking does help. in. That does help. Relaxes my <laughs> smooth muscles. <laughs> Would you enjoy being a ghost? Or a haint or a booger? Would you enjoy being a booger? <laughs> Maybe for a little while to see what it's like. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. I'd be the best ghost. I would enjoy drifting through walls. That's got to be fun. I bet. Yes, I want to stalk my descendants. <laughs> Damn. No, it actually sounds terrible. I already am a ghost, in a way. I oh. think maybe for a little while to see what it's like. I think that would be fun. I don't know if I want to uh, commit myself mm -hmm. to a full eternity of hainthood. Yeah. I think that might tire on me. I might be like, I want to move on towards the light. Go towards the light. Right. 
I might want to at some point, but I'd like to try it out for a little while. It'd be cool. That's what I would probably say, but to say something different so we get different results. I'll say it actually sounds terrible. And it does sound terrible to me. That's why I'd want to try it to see if it is that terrible or if it's actually really fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it might be kind of nice, but then I'd be like, those people are eating pizza. I want some pizza. Right. But you can't eat pizza. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. Exactly. And again, but do you I'm, crave pizza? Of course I crave pizza. Well, you don't have a body anymore. Uh, So? Okay. I crave pizza when I'm not hungry, right? Well, if pizza cravings are still going to be there, I sure as fuck don't want to be a ghost. Nope. <laughs> Hell no. That'd be the worst. But again, that's the problem is when you eat pizza on earth, it gives you the carbs you need to stay on after Whoa. death. So it's really a catch uh, 22, isn't it? That's why Dario Gento make it a pizza because uh-huh. he's really making you go to hell. I want to live forever. <laughs> I want you to live in a hell. <laughs> <laughs> Smelling of the pizza, but no eating of the pizza. <laughs> what would you do if you met a ghost in real life? Okay. Piss my pants. Wait, my pants? Piss your pants. Piss your pants. <laughs> you ever pissed somebody else's pants? That's how scared I am. <laughs> so scared I pissed your pants. <laughs> you whip it out and you point it and you're like, oh my God, oh, I'm so scared. I'm and then all the rest of the day, like I'm, I'm walking around the grocery store, people look at me and I'm like, Steve pissed my pants. <laughs> he pissed my pants. Oh, okay. It's kind of hard to describe. That's happened. This isn't my pee. I'm not a baby. <laughs> Well, I guess that probably does happen to parents all the time. A baby pisses their pants. <laughs> That's probably true. My baby pissed my pants. <laughs> my baby pissed my shirt. <laughs> what? Pissed my everything. All right. Or would you ask it deep questions? Mm. Make friends what with it? it? No. I don't. Is it cold? I, okay. Is, is it, it cold? <laughs> That's a pretty deep question. Yeah. Is it cold? Because again, that would be again why I want to test it out first. Because yeah, like, so what if cold. you become a ghost and you're like, this is pretty cool, but man, I'm cold all I mean, again, the time. No nerve endings. So I'm assuming. Hey, that's it's what you neither think. Neither hot nor cold. Excuse me. I thought you were an English major, not a ghost major. Oh shit. Yeah, I did. I, I was double majoring in ghost. But I had to drop it. You got distracted by the pottery classes. Yeah, that was it. Mostly pottery classes. Would you make friends with it, Mm. run for dear life, get it to scare your enemies, or find out what ghost sex is like? The Anna Nicole. Trim spa, baby. I'd try to make friends with it. That's what I do with people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Right? Yeah, That's. I think that's probably what I would do as well. But I'm going to say... I'm going to ask it some deep questions like, is it cold? Is it cold? (laughs) (laughs) What if that was it? You're just like, the ghost is like, I can tell you anything from beyond the grave. And you're just like, is it cold? And the ghost is like, you cold? No. All right. All right, then, just checking. That's it. Hey, that's something to look forward to, guys. Ain't (laughs) cold. Ain't cold. (laughs) You want some more pizza? (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite sense, Ben? Wow. Sight. Smell. Hearing. Touch. Taste. The sixth sense. Is that time? Um, well, it's. <laughs> I assume they're referring to the sense of spirits around you. Yeah? I guess. Uh, you know what? This might seem like a weird choice considering I make my music, uh, my living and stuff, but I'm probably going to say sight. I think I would have a really hard time yeah. dealing with life without sight. I mean, yeah. I couldn't drive myself places, couldn't watch my movies. Mm-hmm. That'd be terrible. Yeah. But, uh, touch. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, you're um, one of them touchy-feely kind of guys, huh? 
um, I like, I like, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, touching things and being touched. Yeah. Those are positives. And I can't imagine having all my other senses, but not being able to feel <laughs> anything. You know, that is... <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. And I'm yeah. sure that is a thing that probably exists that is well, some not people funny. can't feel pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's dangerous, but it's not necessarily a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if there's anyone out there who just can't feel anything. I guess if you're paralyzed from the neck down, you can't feel much. Right. Yeah. That's strange. Strange Never thought and about unusual. It. So uh, what would your ghost soundtrack be? Uh, probably the first album, Opus Eponymous, okay. is their best record. Let's see if so. that's there. Zither music. Nah, okay, that's not it. Wailing. <laughs> Silence. Okay. Distant violin. Oh, spoopy. Free jazz. Oh, oh this is like free a fun jazz. haunting. Wow, man. Beyonce. <laughs> well, you know that I'm... just as bitter about some stuff. I think so. You know I'm all about some of that ghostly Bruce Dickinson-style vibrato. Yeah. I gotta be able to wail, right man. Or, I mean, wailing. wailing might mean wailing on a sick ghost tar. Holy shit. You know what I mean? I might be, I might be up in the attic. Ghost tar needs to exist. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to sleep? I'm up in the attic wailing on my ghost tar. In Herman Melville's, Melville's Pierre, another book worth reading, uh, th- there's a character who has a guitar that is inhabited by the spirit of her mother, and it talks. So there is a ghost tar. Make it talk, mother stuff. Crazy. Does that happen? Does anybody ever say, make it talk? Mother stuff. And it's like, clean your room. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, Mom, said. I'm trying to play solo. God. Um... <laughs> My ghost soundtrack would be probably free jazz. I want it to be a fun haunting. Jam. If I'm going to be haunting, I want people to be like, what's that sound? There's the smell of whiskey in the air. <laughs> I smell gin coming from the bathtub. Uh-huh. <laughs> the juke joint is really rocking tonight. People dancing together regardless of race, color, or creed. <laughs> the problem is, though, Steve, you didn't read the fine print there. There's actually an asterisk right there. Oh, no. It's free jazz with purchase of another jazz of equal value. Damn it. Yeah, so and how am I going to purchase anything? Yeah, you ain't going to ghost. You ain't going to ghost bucks. Do ghost bucks, yeah. yeah it's mm. a real problem. All right, Steve, what would be the best thing about being a ghost? <laughs> is it going to be scaring people? General sense of lightness. Oh. You're becoming lighter by the day. That's true. It seems I to be am. getting pretty good to you. Immortality, mm-hmm. making ghost friends, right? listening in on people, mm-hmm. or no more commuting. Oh, wow. Uh, I guess no more job, too. Yeah, that, that actually is great right there. So, yeah, no more commuting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. I think if, if I was mortal... I could get a lot of stuff done. I'm going to go with immortality. But you can't pick anything up. Except for your ghost tar. Yeah, so which is good. all I need. You're yeah, fine. really. Yeah. As long as I can wail, I'm good. <laughs> I can wail. <laughs> What's your vibe? Bitch, don't kill my vibe. <laughs> Are you <laughs> chill? What? Yeah, yeah. Complex? Mm. Hangry? Petty? Serene? Or... Dash flirty dash. Yeah, I noticed they put some like little festive dashes on either yeah. side of that thing. That's kind of interesting. Da- I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with chill. I think most people that know me know me's a pretty mm-hmm. laid back kind of chill mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. I'd say complex. 
Yeah, like, that you're a guy, complex ghost. I don't get him. Steven, known for his complexity. Yeah. <laughs> as much as he dislikes complex carbohydrates, he I, likes being a complex I like person. being complex. Exactly. You're like, I don't need them. I am them. Whoa. I am carbohydrates. <laughs> <laughs> carbohydrates ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> All right, Steve. Apparently, I am a petty quick-tempered and extremely fashionable ghost that sounds like you I think that's the opposite of, yeah. of everything that i'm doing right now actually <laughs> pretty laid back and i haven't washed my hair in like five days and all i wear is like shirts that gear companies that sounds me. pretty petty yeah you're probably mm-hmm. right you're a ghost who decided to stick around in order to make life hell for everyone who ever wronged you while you were alive you'll also be completely fabulous no other ghost will match your coordination of your ghost accessories. Your ghost hats will be the envy of the ghost world. I like how much they said ghost. Yeah, me too. That was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I got a sexy flirty ghost. <laughs> oh, yeah. The kind of Anna Nicole likes. Yeah. Just because you're a ghost doesn't mean you can't still be sexy. Yes, you'll be the flirtiest ghost who ever did haunt a stately manor. Word will get round about that strange tingly feeling you give to the living. (laughs) And men and women alike will want to spend the night in your haunted house. Is that a euphemism? Sorry, boys. I'm straight. (laughs) Look out. The straight ghost. Look at you, man. Damn. Well, now we know, dude. Now we know. And I'm definitely going to carry that with me the rest of my life. Yeah. Something to look forward to. What kind of ghost would you be? Sexy flirty ghost. Yeah, I already got it. Not even a fucking contest. And I'm going to be fashionable, but petty. Yeah, real petty. Yeah, I Just got like it. somebody moves your pen or something. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm fraternity. Gonna... <laughs> I've fr- got all of eternity to, to fuck just with say you. fuck you because you moved my pen. Exactly right. <laughs> and that would suck. Yeah. Yep. Now it's time for a commercial. Ah, goddamn, Steve. I'll tell you what. I've got myself a real issue on my hands here. I've got a problem. What? What might that be? It's the month of October, the month yeah. of All Hallows' Eve. That's it, uh-huh. And here I am trying to sell my dang abode. I'm selling my house. I'm putting this thing on the market, right. which of course means apparently you can't decorate for Halloween. What? What a bunch of bullshit. I guess some people don't like things that are nice. Well, what if you could decorate your body my, for Halloween? My body? Yeah. How could I decorate my body? Well, you can head on over to Clairvoyant Clothing. And get you some of them sweet designs they got over there. They got <gasps> they got that spirit board design. You're wearing that I'm right wearing now. It right now, coincidentally, I, can I didn't see, even think about I it. I can see that you've decorated your body very festively. You're yeah. truly in the All Hallows spirit. I truly am. And I did not plan this at all. I actually just wear this shirt pretty regularly. These on the red, they're really good shirts. It's a good high quality shirt. Yeah. It's made of that soft material. Sure is. Perfect for people that like things that are nice. And I'll tell you what, Steve, I've also been getting myself festive all year round by using my clairvoyant death tarot card design string bag Yeah. to stuff full of my cables and equipment and stuff like that every time I'm out gigging with my various musical acts. You it's know what? great. When they sent us those string bags, immediately my something clicked in my brain and I was like, why didn't we use those when we trick-or-treated as kids? My God. We're carrying around this stupid plastic bag that yeah. gets heavier and heavier over the night. You could just put it on your shoulders. That's a much better move. I'm telling you. Better for our young, weak backs. So head on over to clairvoyantclothing.com. You can use our coupon code, which is, of course, dead and lovely. 
Uh, that'll get you 6% off, but stuff over there is pretty cheap anyway. Starting at $16.66. The t-shirt of the beast! Exactly. Man, I'm telling you, head on over there. They're great. Great designs. They got some new stuff for October, so go check it out. Yes, indeed. Commercial over. I do think it would be fun to be a poltergeist-type spirit and just, like, fuck with people's stuff. Move things around. You ever have any experiences where like stuff has mm. moved around or perhaps flown through the air or done anything no. mysterious? No. Um, the closest thing I would say to ever having some ghostly experiences when I lived in uh, the basement of the house next to a cemetery. And that's my favorite Argento movie. Yep, <laughs> the basement and the house next to the cemetery. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. There was a wood burning stove down there. Yeah, yeah. And so it would make a lot of noises. And also as it heated up, it would expand the steps. And so it would sound like there were steps going slowly up the stairs. Oh, okay. As a little kid, I was like, oh no, a ghost. Oh, As an adult, I'm like, it's just normal expansion and contraction of wood. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wood being annoying. Yeah. But uh, the closest I've come to actually experiencing a haunting is when... I told the story just a few episodes ago where my friend, he um, he, he basically sprayed a whole bunch of LSD into my mouth. Oh, uh, And oh, then yeah. told me the story about how his house was haunted and I could <laughs> see all of it in my brain. That was pretty, that was pretty cool experience. But of course, that was under the uh, effect of hallucinogens. <laughs> all bets are off yeah. if that's the case. Anything becomes true at that point. <laughs> you can taste the ghost at that yeah, point. I'm pretty sure, sure. Might as well. She was wearing a cherry uh, dress with cherries. It was like a print dress with yeah. cherries. He said that to me and I saw it immediately in my head. Like I was just so out of my brain. Oh damn. It was awesome. That's pretty it was rad, really cool. Man. Yeah. I've had just like some minor stuff. I've mentioned like on some past episodes, like my wife's parents' place Mm -hmm. seems to have maybe some minor weird activity. It's an older house built in a a more historic area around here. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And there was weird stuff that we experienced. Like we heard the the piano in the front room would like play itself and stuff. Hmm. It wasn't a player piano. There was no mechanics or anything like that. Honest to God... Probably could have just been a mouse running around. Yeah, so I was gonna and, say it was probably. You know what I mean? It, it might have been one of those kinds of any things. number of things in inside there. Yeah. Yeah, but there was a few other like little things at that place that were odd. Yeah. You know, but, but I, that, that's the thing. It's like um, it's like when when somebody somebody seems to be insane to one person and they mention it to another person, that other person will start seeing it. Oh, yeah, Because totally. questioning someone's sanity is so easy in other people's heads. Mm-hmm. It's easy to make people think another person's insane. It's the same principle with hauntings. All you have to do is lay the groundwork. Like, I think this place is haunted. And then people are looking for haunting. Yeah. Oh, would you feel that cold patch of air? <laughs> yes. We're right under a vent. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah like, there's an old house. There's drafty windows and shit. Right. right yeah. But you're, you immediately start looking for them because I don't know why we, we tend toward that weird verve. We always go for everything outside of me is outside of my control. So it could be anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if somebody says that guy's insane, he probably is. If somebody says that place is haunted, it probably is. Like I, I'm, I'm the only thing I can control. 
Well, the thing is, is it all goes back to that principle of I can't explain it, therefore I can explain it. Yeah, exactly. Like it yeah. becomes so easy whenever something unexplainable happens mm-hmm. to immediately discount it as a ghost or some spiritual force or something like that. Because mm-hmm. it's a way to rationalize it. Like even right. though that's irrational and improvable, uh-huh. it's still a way to explain it yeah. to yourself because otherwise it just wouldn't make sense and the human brain does very badly with just being like i don't know that was weird right yeah the majority <laughs> the majority of experiences also that happen to people that i've heard happen when they're children yeah and i listen children are adorable love them to they're death. the future they're the future they also lie and can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality that that is also true yeah and <laughs> if you maintain a lie in your head long enough, you'll believe that it was true, that you really did see that, or right. that, that really did happen. Yeah, yeah. It, it like the brain is amazing at playing tricks on itself. It really, it is really good at playing tricks on itself because we try to make something out of everything, like lights and shadows. We try to like, what does that look like? A face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Always a face. Your brain's We're always, always trying faces. to interpret it as something. Yeah, yeah. It's very true, man. But yeah, I, I don't... Ghosts... The, the only problem I have with this movie is that I don't care about it. I like this movie a lot. It's a very entertaining movie. But every time they start talking about EVPs and all this bullshit about ghost hunting, mm-hmm. to me it's just like... It, it's like talking about cricket. Mm. It's, it's a thing I know people do for unexplainable reasons, and it will never make sense to me why they care about it. <laughs> Like, but at least cricket is real. <laughs> <laughs> cricket is real. It's for sure real. It is provable. Yeah. You're right there, man. Now, I'm going to just kind of assume that this wasn't the first time oh, you've no. ever seen this movie. I remember seeing this as a kid, and the, the tree scene was like, just like uh, with Creepshow last week, the tree scene made me always have this sort of weird fear. You're one of them of, dendrophobes, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, not really now, but like as a kid, it was just always like these trees outside the window, especially if there's like, a thunderstorm or something. Yeah. And you just see like those flashes and like the the limbs are sort of all over the and, place. And again, your brain is finding faces. Yeah, you're and finding like that in them. Yeah. all the different things. Yeah. So as a kid, that really messed with me. Now as an adult, it doesn't bother me. Oh, quick side tangent real quick. Did you see this shit about all the hidden faces in Midsummer? No. Holy shit. There are a ton of hidden faces? Yes. Huh. And there was one of them. I can't remember if I leaned over and I, I told you or told Kate. I think I told Kate. Towards the end of the movie, whenever um, they're like carrying her as like the the queen and stuff, you know, uh-huh. like off in the trees in the distance, there's like this huge face. Yeah, I remember I was talking about it in the mini so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's actually the face of her sister that has like the hose pipe leading into the mouth and stuff. Oh, it's what? just like her sister's face. Well, you know, you see her um, when she goes into like that little shed. And she's like looking in the mirror in the dark and uh-huh. you see her sister's face behind her. Yeah. It's like her sister's face is apparently all over the fucking movie. Oh, okay. Which well, I, just chills I'm me to my I'm excited to watch core. it again, honestly. I'm yeah. getting more and more so to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. that just reminded me of that. Huh. Thought I'd point that out. So the first time that I watched this movie was actually not that long ago. Okay. I think probably like six or seven years ago mm. was the first time that I watched this movie. I think it's one that is probably overlooked a lot when people start recommending movies to people who are just getting into horror movies. Yeah. Poltergeist is one, I would say, is like a basic one. That's like one you want to tell people. Oh, yeah. Pretty early. Like if they're like, I don't really like horror movies, go with Poltergeist. It's got 
it, it's not as much about jump scares. There are no deaths. Mm-mm. It's not like gory and stuff. No, not really. Yeah. And just as a very like relatable, relatable family situation. Family, yeah. And stuff. And yeah, you're right. This is a good one to kind of get into yeah. if if somebody's not really sure about testing the horror yeah. waters. This is but pretty of good course, to start with. When anyone asks a horror fan what to watch, everyone's like, but fucking Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, watch the most brutal shit yeah. ever. <laughs> you didn't like it? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, really. Yeah, this is a good one to start with for sure. I, I watched this on my birthday about oh, okay. about seven Happy or so years ago, I think. And I recall watching this movie as well as a Tarsum Singh movie. Oh, okay. Is that one that he did that's like really fairy tale ish with the little girl? Yeah. Yeah, and the the stuntman played by Lee Pace. Yeah, yeah and all the gold fuck. stuff. I can't remember the name. I can't of it remember right what it's called either, man. It's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to like look it up on. It's a real IMDb cute movie. It's look really it up. cool. Yeah, but I watched those in the same night to celebrate my day of birth, and I was really, really impressed by Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. It was one of those ones that you know, you see it on all those lists of horror classics and stuff like that. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of those movies you go back and watch, and it's just like, yeah, well, they don't they don't hold up. Yeah, they hadn't really gotten the hang of this whole horror right. thing by then. But I was immediately impressed by the quality of how well mm-hmm. made the flick is it just reeks of spielberg in so many yeah, ways it really does how wonderful the family is the special effects the pacing just everything about the movie i just really really enjoyed it yeah well i mean yeah I've, i loved it as a kid i never never turned away from it it was never one of those that i was like that one's actually lame like it, it's good it's a good Man, movie. poltergeist sold out it did it sold that out. that movie's a sellout it's a big pizza <laughs> Let's get ourselves another pull on a yeah. beer here. We've cleared out these cups, and now we're ready to take part in a Distill Brewery Wild Sour series. We've had some Distill on it's the a show limited before. release, it says here. That's right. That's right. And I think we had the Distill uh, Tropical Flare IPA yeah. a while back, which I love yeah, it's really so good. much. Distill hasn't had anything that... I have not liked. I like everything that they do. Now, I was really skeptical about this one whenever Kate brought it home because it is a... It's a rosé. Rosé, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sour rosé ale with apple and raspberry. That there sounds like some basic bitch shit. <laughs> but I was delighted to find it's some complex bitch shit. All right. And I'm a complex bitch shit. You are. That's true. It looks like damn pink lemonade or something. Wow. And it tastes delightful. It has a very potent tartness up front, but then a mm-hmm. nice, wonderful, like raspberry finish on the back. It kind of smells like a rose. It does. And yeah. honestly, the, the biggest thing about it is, smell, yeah. is that it tastes nothing like what it smells. Okay. Whenever I cracked one open and poured it out for Kate, I was like, this smells like something I'm going to hate. Yeah. I didn't like how it smelled at all. Tastes nothing like how it smells. It's like a really weird separation of smell and taste. What do you think about that? Oh. It's like really light, right? It's very light and floral. It's got like, wow. Yeah. It has like a, almost a cereal sort of taste to it. Yeah. I think that's like the yeastiness of the wine and Mm -hmm. stuff, you know? And a lot of that's just kind of like on the nose, I think. But what's left on the palate is just nice and lightly tart. Kind of like when you have like a real raspberry where it's like, yeah, you have that raspberry flavor, but it's also quite tart. I got some raspberries at the store the other day, went to town on them. Yeah. And just hit them straight up. They're so good. Yeah. Mmm. Love me a raspberry. Raspberry. I think blackberries because I grew up picking them a lot. Oh, hell yeah. The wild blackberries that grow around here. Blackberries always have a real positive 
vibe for me. I, I bite into them and it's just like, oh yeah, picking, getting cut up like crazy. Oh my God. Picking they'll wild raspberries. Uh, uh, blackberries. Yeah. They'll completely destroy you, uh-huh. dude. But they're so fucking good. So good. Yeah. So good. All right. So this movie, obviously there's some stuff about the production directional yeah. stuff yeah, that we have to, to have to we cover. We have to here. talk about that. So Toby Hooper is credited as director in this. It has been disputed in the past by members of the crew, actors, etc. That basically Steven Spielberg called the shots. Yeah. But looking more into the argument, what you find is that, yeah, Steven Spielberg directed Toby Hooper and Toby Hooper directed the movie. That's not normally how a producer works in Hollywood. Normally they're more hands off. But you could say for sure that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, those are directed by Kevin Feige. He's directing all those directors and telling them what's going to happen in the movies. Mm. So it doesn't take away from the fact that those directors are on set doing all the blocking, setting up all the shots and telling all the actors what to do. That's the director. So when people say Toby Hooper didn't direct this movie, well, they're wrong. Toby Hooper directed this movie. Steven Spielberg just made a lot of the directorial decisions. I guess you could say it's kind of like whenever the the primary songwriter of the song mm-hmm. doesn't instantly discount the fact that all these other musicians play right. on it and stuff. I mean, it the wasn't. fact that, that fucking Freddie Mercury wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, it doesn't mean that like Dan Brian May didn't work right. on that solo. Doesn't yes, take away from exactly. his work. Yeah. So, Toby Hooper, I think, has been kind of thrown under the bus a little bit on this. He age. has a bit, yeah. yeah. And he, even, like, Zelda Rubenstein said that, like, Toby she Hooper She thought he was on di- drugs. Yeah, and yeah. said he couldn't direct traffic. Right. Which, hey, yeah. directing traffic is not an easy job, Zelda. Yeah. I like to see you go out there and, and do there it. there are far worse things that can happen in directing traffic than directing a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. There's yeah. real lives on the line. Uh, you're directing a movie, you just say cut and like it's done. <laughs> just try it again. What if you did that directing traffic? Like, cut, you just everybody. Directed, like cut. five cars into a wreck and you're like, cut, cut. All right, let's back to places. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Let's run another one. Once uh, more with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I think more of what, what we should take away from this is that Steven Spielberg, it was his first job, producing job. Right. He didn't know what to do. But he knew how to direct a movie. Uh Uh-huh. So that's what he was doing. Well, and the thing about this is, too, is, like I said, it it reeks of Spielberg to me. There's Mm -hmm. so many things about this that that just feel like it. But also, there's the fact that his editor was the guy cutting the movie. Yeah, that's true. And it's, I mean, the, the sound... The soundtrack is going to sound like a Steven Spielberg movie. He's not going to bring in somebody who's going to do something completely different. Which he wants it to be light, peppy. Bup, 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 bup. Like yeah. He doesn't want what somebody might think of like some ambient noises, maybe something a little more sparse. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want that. He wants like bup, 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 bup. he wants it real peppy at the beginning, magical like. Yeah, it gets more dark towards the middle and then real peppy again at the end. Like that's yeah. how his movies sound. Which even. On the, on the side of the soundtrack is kind of interesting because, you know, Spielberg historically has worked with John Williams on, like, everything. Yes, yeah. And this is not scored by him. It's not by scored our boy by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, who's awesome. Who is a fucking yeah. icon. Yep. Holy shit. Jerry Goldsmith has done so much amazing stuff. There is a little uh, John Williams sort of 
I guess shout out like there's very clearly in one of those scenes with Robbie in his bed when he's talking to his mom yeah the Star Wars poster behind him like it's just sort of like right there beside his head John oh Williams. Yeah. yeah 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 but it, it, it has I mean it's Jerry Goldsmith like it, it has everything he can do and it has the tone that you expect from a Spielberg movie so it's hard to ever find Toby Hooper in this that's a good way to put it. It's hard to find the Toby mm. Hooper in this. Yeah, because when I think of Toby Hooper, it's like I'm obviously thinking about Texas, uh, Texas, Texas Chainsaw Chantar. Massacre right. and all of the just brutality and yeah. grimness and just how raw and nasty that movie is. And this movie has none of that. Yeah, we'll have to talk about Toby Hooper's career sometime when we do another Toby Hooper movie. But it's it's hard to... It's hard to follow up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. but that's also no excuse to not fully be able to follow it up. I mean, it would be hard to follow up Halloween and John Carpenter did it. Like, yeah, he made some awesome shit. It's hard to follow up a, a, a great premiere, but like that's no excuse for never really... He did a lot of bad movies, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, Toby Hooper made a did. lot of bad movies. But, I mean, to- Toby Hooper was in the editing bay for 10 weeks with the editor there's got to be and and he again he was blocking the shots that there were there were things he was adding to it but it really is steven spielberg's vision yeah the reason steven spielberg could not direct this movie is because he was under contract to direct et and et started filming a couple weeks after this wrapped oh damn so he was working on this while also preparing for E.T. Busy guy. under contract could not work on this. But he he didn't... I think he... Like he said about Toby Hooper that Toby Hooper's not a, a, a take charge kind of guy. Yeah, not a hands-on kind of director. Right. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg was the one who chose him to be the director. So he chose someone that he could basically direct. Yeah. To get around the rule. To basically say, well, I'm not breaching my contract because I'm not being credited as director. But also happen to get a guy who I know will take direction if I give right. it to him. You know? Yeah. Hmm. So it, a, a lot of that is just Hollywood contract nonsense. Yeah, a lot of red tape and bullshit. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is like at the end of the day at the Oscars and shit, you know, this and E.T. both got nominated for tons of stuff, like best yeah. special effects and things. And E.T. beat this in two categories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Steven Spielberg is like, oh, shucks. shucks. Lost. But yeah. I won. <laughs> um, so the, the that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because the original idea that he brought to Toby Hooper to direct was supposed to be a dark horror sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I heard about that. Yeah, as I was doing a little bit of research, they said that this was kind of originally conceived that way, and yeah. then they decided to take the more kind of spiritual yeah. slant to things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spielberg's idea was entitled Night Skies, and basically he used parts of Night Skies to make E.T. and Poltergeist. No shit. So, yeah, he just he was like, okay... And you can see some of the connections between Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T., obviously. But it's harder to see how Polter, how he could have pulled from that to make yeah. Poltergeist. It was Toby Hooper's idea to make it a ghost story. So that kind of... At least Toby had had like some direction there from the beginning saying yeah, like, we a, should a make it a big contribution this. there, yeah. sure. But yeah, it's... This, this movie and E.T., I want... I wanted to look and see if I could draw comparisons, but just thinking through it in my mind, the only thing that really 
connected for me was cute little girl and the music. Yeah, that's about the, all Other the connected that, issues. And like suburban, yeah, suburban, early yeah, 80s but America. That's Steven Spielberg, every movie. In yeah, the 80s, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know. I That would be an interesting thing to do. Watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind and see how Poltergeist is a sequel to it and how E.T. is a sequel to it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have to at least make cursory mention of the entire supposed Poltergeist curse and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, this is and this isn't a true crime podcast and you probably don't tune in to hear uh, terrible stories about. Uh, young actresses being choked to death by their boyfriends who yeah. were possessive and pieces of shit. Apparently. Let's mention his name just in case you ever run into him. John Thomas Sweeney. Fuck you. Fuck you, John You're Thomas You're a piece Sweeney. of shit. Yeah, and it was just a couple months after Poltergeist. Like, she, she had, like, she had lined up a job. She was going to be in the miniseries V. Like, she was preparing for that. It Just fuck, fuck that guy. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that whenever you start researching this whole curse thing... I mean, there there's some really fucked up stuff that happened. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's, it's really just trying to find a thread. Yeah, but between terrible tragedies. The things that stood out the most to me are, like you said, uh, the girl that played Dana as the older daughter, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Played her, got strangled to death by her boyfriend. Obviously, you know the the girl that played Carol Ann. She died, died of a bowel at obstruction 12. at twelve. I mean, yeah. that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. That really fucking sucks. It's like right after they had shot Poltergeist three. Yeah. yeah, and and then one of the craziest ones to me that I found out about is that one of the, like the construction worker guys, it's like Cat Colin Dana. Yeah, got yeah. like murdered with an axe by a serial killer a in serial like two thousand something. Uh-huh. Like, not long ago. Like, that guy had to be looking back, being like, whew, sure I'm glad this old poltergeist curse dodged me, huh? No, no. I'm being murdered by an axe. I mean, not just killed, an axe murderer. Yeah. Like you read about. Like like you read about in the 1910s. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, dude. Holy shit. And there's all this speculation that, you know, maybe all this bad juju and all these bad vibes and stuff like that came from the fact that... They employed the use of like actual Real. human cadavers right. in the pool scene and stuff. And uh, I I don't know. The thing is, is like that wasn't all that uncommon of a practice back then. No, I, I, I guess it's not making, an uncommon practice in general. Like, yeah, what do, what do you think they do with your bones if you donate your body? Dude, is there a special box that I can <laughs> check on my card that says donate my body to a horror movie? That would be cool. Maybe what you do is well, you can make of, a contract with somebody. I guess so. Sure. Yeah, you get dibs. Yeah, you got dibs on my bones. <laughs> I would totally probably give my bones up to like, yeah, probably like Ari Aster. That'd be cool. Oh, you can you can use just my throw bones, these dude. in somewhere. Yeah, Jordan Peele. <laughs> yeah. Use my bones, dude. You know what you're doing. Take my bones. <laughs> I wonder, like, I mean, oh whoa! I just had two weird thoughts. First Hit off, me. how many like real human bones are just in production company closets and stuff right now. Yeah. And like, it's like, do they know the name of the person? And then number two, I wonder how many uh, mouthy actresses in the 1920s turned into bones in a movie later. <laughs> Pretty easy to hide them when you got all these yeah. human corpses on set, yeah, I guess. That's huh? what I'm saying. Huh. And they sure didn't treat actresses well. Ever. Still haven't, <laughs> I don't think. Can you imagine how cool it would be, though, if, like, you knew that one of those corpses in the pool was, like, your great aunt? Oh, man. You're like, that's Beverly. <laughs> Dude, that's her right there. She's coming up. 
<laughs> Do you know my great aunt's in Poltergeist? Yeah, she's one of the corpses that floats up through the water. That'd be so cool. Yeah. That, I would tell everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'd tell everybody that. I think what you do if you want that to be how your body gets used is like instead of just checking the box on your license, you fill it in with a pentagram. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, I know what this guy oh, wants. Oh, he signed it with a pentagram. <laughs> he wants to be used by the horror people. Got it. <laughs> Can I donate my guts to be used as well? Yeah, I think those always go to like Eli Roth, though. Yeah. Yeah, so you're like, ugh. Yuck. Anybody but that, please. All right. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know about all the curse business. There's a lot of just like definite bullshit stuff, too, where it's like, you know, the mom talked about, oh, I went home and my pictures on my wall were crooked. It's like, okay, that's probably some bullshit. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure a lot of that was probably coached in the early days. Like, because they did the same thing with The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, because Steven Spielberg is not, he was not entering a new territory here. He was basically just sanitizing the territory that is Amityville Horror and uh, what's that other? Haunting of Hell House. Yeah. Or Hell House. What is, Hill yeah, House, legend, Haunted Hill. The legend of Hell House. Oh, okay. Where there's yeah. like a scientist and a, a, a medium and stuff. It's like 73. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's actually a good haunting movie. But uh, Steven Spielberg is just basically making it the light family version of those things. So you take out most of the gore. You take out any real deaths. But you can still explore the interesting idea of like these people who commune with spirits and these people who use these weird instruments to somehow measure spirit activity yeah i mean this is before ghostbusters right yeah, yeah. a couple of years a couple so of years yeah he he's kind of sanitizing it and make it fun which paves the way for ghostbusters sure yeah definitely so and, and you then know, you know ghost and all those other movies that were just ghost dad for instance like right. all of that comes from the sanitization of ghosts through poltergeist and that also too comes from just taking the the haunted house out of a haunted house. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's no longer in this big gothic castle or mansion. Uh-huh. Just a or suburban, but uh, ticky tacky house that looks like every other house in the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which we'll kind of talk about some of the themes that go throughout this movie and stuff as we go along with the episode here, because I think there's a lot to kind of dig around yeah, with there. there. Is. But ultimately, the core of this movie is the cast. And Mm -hmm. there's kind of a couple little sets of characters here that I like to talk about. Uh, Of course, at the core of this, we have the family itself. Yeah, freely. I I find just to be so immensely appealing. I think that their casting Mm -hmm. is fantastic. I mean, the the kids are great, but at the same time, the kids are like believable. Mom and dad are just so real. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I like how real they are and like, like slightly detached. Like they're their teenage daughter is a little rebellious but they actually don't even seem to notice it Mm -hmm. like you can tell why she's rebelling to get attention because it's actually not even working when she shows up when the house is basically imploding in on itself or whatever she shows up with two hickeys on her yeah (laughs) neither of her parents pay any attention that's true yeah like she said they mentioned the motel and she was like oh "Oh, i know that place i know that place and her mom's like what what yeah, just like, but no follow-up. Uh-huh. Just like, eh, well, whatever. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're almost an adult. That's your thing. And they are kind of detached in the way that they're just like always putting their kids in front of the TV and stuff uh-huh. like that, yeah. too. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's a real, it's a real interesting look at the yuppie lifestyle in these emerging suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you see 
Craig T. Nelson, who is Stephen Freeling, when you see him smoking weed and reading Reagan's biography. Let's talk about that scene a little yeah. while. So one thing that I want to put out there about this is how good of a job this movie does at showing, not telling. One of our right. favorite things mm-hmm. that we find in very successful movies where they never give you this big backstory about how maybe the parents mm-hmm. were like free love hippies that met at Woodstock or something like this. But just through little things like that, like that context stuff of like, yeah, they still smoke dope. Mm-hmm. You just kind of get the impression that they are probably hippies in recovery, so to speak. They're hippies oh, yeah, that, that was, grew up and got jobs. Yeah, the, they they became the uppies. And they make yeah. they make references to, um, you know, like whenever the mom talks to Craig T. Nelson and she's like, just try to be open-minded like we used to be. Right. And she still seems to be much more spiritually open to the possibilities of these things. I mean, she's like downright excited whenever she finds the ghost right. like moving stuff in the kitchen. Like she, uh, she's got the X-Files thing. She wants to believe. Uh-huh. Like there's still part of her that still is, I think, a hippie. Does that it, make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a part of the boomer identity. It's yeah. still very much a thing. You still see uh, the these now grandmothers and great grandmothers who uh, are uh, you know anti-vaxxers and all sorts of stuff because they believe in like the healing energy of crystals and things. Right. And then all the dads are still this like you know gruff conservative but not really outward open about it type of guy who you know actually does smoke weed, but it's like. He still isn't for legalization for some reason. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that just describes like so many fucking dads, so many including dads. my own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's crazy. So. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, this is a perfect depiction of like Steven Spielberg saw this in people that that was what this generation was becoming. Yep. And, and this, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. It, and this movie looks at it playfully, but it is critical. But like, one of the things that you see early on is the the remote control battle yeah that's it it seems entirely ridiculous if you didn't ever grow up in a period where remote controls could share the same like wavelength interact with each other but beyond that what it indicates is they're so close to each other that they they're their remote controls are interfering with one another now today when you look back on it you're like yeah suburbs but in 1982, if you lived in the South and you were seeing this, you'd be like, people really live like that? Yeah, they like, got their neighbors up their ass. Ugh. Yeah. Like, people in the middle of the country would have been like, that looks like hell. Right. And that's what they're going for, is that this is a suburban hell pit that opens up and swallows a house. Like, Yeah, yeah. They're going for, this is bad, it's not a positive thing, these people are good, but... The the setting the American and dream the world they're they live chasing. in, the American dream they're chasing, is not positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can completely see that, and that's one of those things that I even remember growing up. You know, in the in the mid eighties, uh-huh. there was definitely this emphasis on how if you had a house in the suburbs with a pool or whatever, yeah. you're living the dream. Living the dream, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the American dream that was very much pushed on us, I think, yeah. as kids. But you know, one thing that I really like about that scene where they're in their in their bedroom and stuff, and they're just like goofing around and, yeah. and having fun, smoking and just, weed, and having yeah, fun, yeah. enjoying not having to take care of the kids for a minute and stuff. Right. Name one other movie. In this time period that mm-hmm. featured the good guys recreationally smoking weed right. and didn't demonize it. 
Yeah, that's true. It's not a very common thing to see at this point. No. Yeah, I mean, smoking it, weed would get you killed in a, a Friday the 13th movie. Those yeah. is 82. No, it had already happened by then, yeah. Exactly, yeah. you know? But, like, this shows it as, like, yeah, this is something that, that parents all over the place do behind closed doors. Yeah. It's not a big deal. That was the thing that was always weird to me. Like, I remember my dare teacher. Yeah. I knew she smoked weed, like, because she lived near my aunt and uncle who smoked weed. Mm-hmm. And they smoked weed together. <laughs> and so I remember sitting at dare. Thank you, President Reagan. Thanks, Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember sitting there and thinking like, oh, so adults just lie. Okay. <laughs> or, like, you, or you sit there and go, oh, weed isn't drugs. Weed isn't drugs. Because it's not. It's not. <laughs> but yeah, like I, it's just one of those early things where it's like, all right, adults just lie. And that's just it. Like you just say lies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's supposed to make your kids' lives better, I guess. I guess. Somehow. <laughs> but I was impressed just to see just how open this movie was about it. How yeah. it didn't, like I said, demonize them or make it look like, no. oh, these kids' parents are druggies. They're degenerates. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not even a result of them smoking weed because we've already had Carol Ann talking to the television in the opening. So, like, their house has already got a poltergeist before they've ever done any negative, right? I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. They, so it's not being shown in any negative light. It's just being like, that. that's what adults do when they're chilling out and de-stressing from their jobs and their kids and they just want to relax. Yeah. Guess what? Everybody likes to relax. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that is a truth. <laughs> but so, I love how the family dynamic in this too, dude, is such that they're just a pretty normal, pretty healthy yeah. family. Yeah, they are. They're you know? Good parents. They're, yeah. I mean, they're not over, they're not like, helicopter parents they let their kids make their choices and stuff yeah they're not religious zealots they're not at all your typical horror movie family you know it's like somehow somewhere along the lines like a lot of writers of horror flicks started to think like man if you have a family where like you know they're they're in this degenerate awful situation maybe the dad beats the kids or the mom is a religious nut well, probably all started a bit with nightmare on elm street the travel down like because halloween has the absent parents but they're not bad yeah nightmare on elm street has the parents that are actively bad right but and the they're fact con- that they're the cause of the problem but the fact that the parents in this are like actually good and likable and relatable yeah makes you get drawn into the movie that yeah, much more. Yeah, and you more. care. You care about each one of them. Yeah. You don't want them to get hurt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I like that this movie doesn't go for the typical shitty, dark, grimy family situation mm-hmm. and just kind of puts you in the in the, in the the household of a family that thinks that they're doing their best yeah. in this time period, you know? And the cat... I mean, we were talking about the cast. The, so, Steven Spielberg wanted to cast people who were virtually unknown. Yeah. I mean, we look back on this now. Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, we know who they are. Yeah. And, of course, the little girl we know from the other two Poltergeist movies. But we don't... If you were watching it in 82, you wouldn't really know who these people are. So it actually draws you in more because you're not thinking like, oh, I know him from that other thing. All right? I've seen him in, in that show yeah. I like. Or like, I know he's I know he's going to live because he's a big yeah. star. And this is something that I, I when I was reading that i saw the elevation of this like steven spielberg deciding to do that kind of leads somewhat directly to the idea behind blair witch project of okay well let's make it even more real like they not only do people not know who these actors are but the actors don't even know what's going to happen so their responses are real and then you get the paranormal activity where it's like 
we're watching home cameras of these people we do not know and we're not even sure if this is real or not like it's this constant attempt with haunting of trying to one-up that how real can we make it look before like it falls apart no, I think I mean, that the next wave is going to be like just a movie about a pair of shoes and the stuff it encounters. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple GoPros on the tips of the shoes. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> it's like a dog's life, but it's a shoe's life. It's pretty much that. I'm a shoe. That's me. A shoe. <laughs> but yeah, all the cast in, in this, I think, does a great job. I don't think that any of the acting in it is crap at all no you know i think the family is all super likable the kids mm. act like kids yeah the, robbie the son has like you know just kind of like annoying buck teeth i'm just growing my adult teeth in kind of thing going on he yeah. just seems like a normal well, ass he's, kid he's a perfect spielberg kid yeah he's got a little bit to his face that makes you like remember him instead of all the kids looking the same like yeah. i mean you look at goonies Look at look at any time that he brings kids in. He always looks for he's looking for unique looking kids. Yeah, not like ugly, not overly pretty, just normal, unique looking kids. Yeah, definitely so. And man, fucking Carol Ann is adorable as she shit. is, and she wasn't an actress. Like he just saw her mm-hmm. at something. I can't remember what it was, but he asked her parents if she would be interested in acting, and they brought her in for an audition. And she couldn't stop laughing when trying to say the lines, even in like the scary scenes. But he really liked, he thought she looked so angelic that he really wanted it to work. So he like really pushed to get her ready for it. And she does a good job. She's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, those scenes like early in the movie where she's staring at the TV and it's like she's like answering questions that the mm-hmm. TV is asking her and stuff. Yeah. It just seems so legit. Like that's what a kid would do. And, I was you know, going to say. Like, Nowadays, they'd have the kid acting all creepy and the lighting would be weird right. and all this kind of shit, but you know? But kids can be creepy without that. Yeah. Like, kids can be very creepy because they can invent an entire person in their head and talk to them like they're talking to another person, but you don't hear that person mm-hmm. and you don't know what the conversation's about mm-hmm. and it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely so. Yeah, she does a great job and... You know, we also have the, the, the kind of side characters of our paranormal yeah, investigators paranormal and investigators. stuff that we got in here, too. The first crew is a group of three who are all very cool. It seems like they definitely are in over their heads. Yeah, I, I love I love how they're right outside the door, uh, Caroline's door, and I just love the guys telling Stephen, uh, Craig T. Nelson, he's telling him that he has this video of a toy truck moving across the floor yeah. <laughs> over seven hours. And I love how Craig T. Nelson plays like, oh, it yeah. where he's just, he's just listening to it patiently and he's opens the door yeah. and everything in the fucking room is just <laughs> like a tornado. And they're all just like, what? what? And then the, the lady, and they cut to the lady with her teacup, just <laughs> shaking. Like, And you can, you can't really quite tell if like, if these are, scam artists right or if they are people that legitimately believe in yeah this spiritual you know realm but have just never seen anything on this but, magnitude yeah they sort of prove themselves by sticking around that night and but they're also skeptics they are you know they're like yeah. uh, this could be signals coming from within yeah, the house right yeah stuff like that you well know? and i mean that's that is probably one of the elements of ghost hunting that's the most annoying to them <laughs> i gotta prove to people it's true yeah 
No. I just wanted to tell people I kind of felt a cold spot here. And listen to this. When you play it backwards, doesn't that sound like Kill Daddy? <laughs> I guess it does. Maybe it could. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's totally. Yeah, that's it. That's probably Kill Daddy. Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but man, even the, uh, the lady that's kind of the head of the group is just so wonderfully warm and charming and just seems like somebody mm-hmm. that you knew. She seems like, honestly, she kind of reminds me of like my first grade teacher. Yeah, she had first grade teacher vibes, didn't she? Absolutely so. Mm-hmm. You know, where like she, again, is just a normal looking older lady. Like yeah. she's from that era of where you could be an actor and have teeth that weren't perfectly straight and is like shiny <laughs> as pearls and shit. Like she looked like a normal person. You know what I mean? And, and, and she has one a, thing that like really kind of disgusts me when I'm watching a show of people that all have bright white teeth that are all the same exact length. Yeah, I know. And all straight. It's like you've manipulated your skeleton to do that. Like <laughs> You made your bones do it. And white is not the color your teeth should be. If you ever eaten, no. No. I'm at odds because like really like ultimately I, w- I would love to get my teeth like straightened out and stuff one day because mm. my teeth are really crooked. Mm. But it's like but I don't want to look like that. Yeah, I don't want to look fake. No. Yeah. Like, keep a little, but make it straighter. I'll just, I'll keep them all bunched up. I have a little bunching here. Yeah, that's a little that. George Clooney bunching. You could, you could live, yeah, that's, that's, that's very livable. Yeah. Very I'm livable. I'm never going to have a problem with that. <laughs> but yeah, I love the group of investigators. And of course, they bring in the heavy artillery later on with old Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah. She, she doesn't show up until an hour 14 in the movie. An hour fourteen, but she, she's so she's fucking the part memorable. Everybody remembers about Poltergeist because she has, comes on the screen and it's just like, wham! I'm in charge. Everybody's behind her in almost every shot. Like every shot is her closest to the camera. Yeah, she's the one in charge. She's the one who knows what she's doing. And, and again, she does those, those sort are Spielberg of, things too. Like yeah. knowing where to like frame people yeah. and how to angle them to really show yes. off their height and perspective and mm-hmm. stuff. That's one of those things that he's so fantastic at that you know he was kind of pulling the strings on some of those shots. Actually, in some of those shots, like because of forced perspective and stuff, she's as tall as them. Oh, wow. So, like, the shots are constantly reminding you, like, yeah, she's small, but she's not small. Like, she's in charge. She's got all the fucking power in this situation. And she talks like that and she acts like that. And apparently that's just Zelda Rubenstein, who became an actress at 45. That is a late in her life career yeah. change right there. Uh, I would encourage that, by the way. Anybody Fuck out yeah. there who thinks you're too old to go into acting, watch a movie. Pay mm. attention to how many older people are in movies. No movies shit. aren't about beautiful people. Bad movies are about beautiful people. Good movies have all sorts of ages, looks, and and faces. You you could at forty five go into acting and possibly make it. All now, are welcome. All are welcome. All are welcome. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And I love too whenever she like makes her appearance on screen, and like initially Craig T. Nelson is like really skeptical about her, and he's like mm-hmm. trying to communicate with her telepathically. Right. That's a good like little <clears throat> humor beat. Yeah, you know where he tries to reach out with his mind, and she's like, "I'm addressing the living." Uh huh. And she says something about it, like, I don't know. She makes some some uh, some response that she heard him or right. whatever. It's just so like subtly clever, but also kind of like demonstrating that, like you said, she's in charge. Yeah, you she's know? in charge. Yeah, nobody nobody's getting one over on her. 
And she's got those grandma weird ass faded shades that we talked that we about, just recently. about recently. Uh, I think she's somewhat based off of the the wife in the couple from The Conjuring. I can't remember their names, but they were oh, the two real life yeah, ghost yeah. hunters or whatever and exorcists. I think she's somewhat based off her, though that lady wasn't uh, particularly short, but she did dress like that. Mm. Yeah. Where the fuck is she from? What is that accent? I don't know if she... I mean, that's how Zelda Rubenstein always sounds. And she's from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? And really? That, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that to be a Pittsburgh accent. There's times where it sounds kind she of never southern. Southern. No, or Wooder. <laughs> or Wooder. Yeah. Wooder. Like, there's times that she sounds really southern, but I don't know what part of the south. Yeah. It, it, uh, yeah, that would be a top... I mean, it, maybe Pittsburgh is more Southern than we think. Let's Might go. be that way. Yeah, let's go hey, find Pittsburghers, out. we're coming to your town. <laughs> Get me a salad with fries ready to go. And of course, we've talked before about Craig T. Nelson's boss. Uh-huh. We have. Who, on Return of the movie. Living Dead. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's so good. James Carn. I love that guy. Teague, in this, his character is... I don't know that he's entirely shown as despicable at first, but we know that I, I you can kind of tell he's a little sleazy when he first comes on screen. He's talking fast. Yeah. But then we find out later that uh, he's been moving the gravestones of these graveyards and building houses over dead bodies. So he's a bit of an asshole. I found that line where he says like, oh, we're not talking ancient tribal burial grounds, just... Normal people. Normal I found that people. to be interesting. Right. So it's interesting that he sets up the con- the the normal people versus Native American burial ground because this this site originally is this peaceful place where they've decided to bury their dead, which yeah. is normally a place you know for reflection and thought about your own spirituality and your own life, etc. Mortality and your so mortality. On. Yeah. 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 And what they've done is come and covered it up with these ugly houses that all look the same. <laughs> and just... Kind of built this purgatory on top of it. Yeah, built... The, yeah, exactly. A purgatory. Because it is... It's neither a joyous place to be nor a terrible place to be. It's just this in-between ground where you just are. And it's... It's fine. I mean, I'm sure you feel somewhat accomplished when you come home. He's He's the biggest salesman at the realty place mm-hmm. 42% of all their sales like he he's working his ass off he comes home to his house gets to relax but i mean we see as we talked about with the remote controls like we see that they're so close to each other that like they're actually interfering with each other's american dream yeah like their american dream has become this very clearly defined boxed in sort of thing that can't be much different than anyone else's like even when they're talking he's trying to sell the house to the that couple when they're in the the house and basically the wife is saying, oh yeah it's like phase four or whatever right. yeah the wife is saying she says like these look these look a bit lived in or whatever and then the husband's like they all look the same to me yeah and, yeah yeah and that's even preceded by the previous shot which is showing our main family's kitchen. Yeah. And then it immediately kind of fades into Craig T. Nelson showing the house. and Which it's looks like, the exact same. It looks same. identical. Yeah. yeah. And so everybody's American dream is packaged into this real tight little area. All looks the same. 
and you get to choose what you do on the inside. Well, that's ultimately showing you too <laughs> that like everybody's you know concept of the American dream isn't your own dream. It's just what's right. being sold to you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's this prepackaged thing that we are selling as here's what you need in life. Right. You know. And so the scene where the jewelry falls from the ceiling yeah, yeah. is is a, a good reminder of that because I'm assuming that jewelry is coming from the dead outside. Like it's they're it's being transferred outside through that portal. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. Assuming that, that nexus or whatever. Which is just a reminder. Like you can't take it with you. Like even right. if you take it into the grave with you, it's it's not with you. You are dead. Yeah. That's you something I had in my notes too that I kind of noticed this time around is that like even at the end of the movie whenever all the coffins are shooting up mm-hmm. out of the ground, it shows you that they're wearing jewels and pearls yeah. and pocket watches and stuff like yep. this. Just And after they died, guess what happened? Yeah. They just built more shit on top of right. it. Right. And whenever those houses are no longer desirable, they'll come in and bulldoze them or they'll just abandon the entire area and yeah. it will become a house graveyard. I think where every every house is a representative representative tombstone right. of, a, of a dream. I think it's pretty interesting that Steven Spielberg, you know, caught on to this this early yeah. on because at this point it's not like suburbs were ultra common all over the no. country or anything no. like this. It, yeah, it was just in highly condensed areas with a, a lot like California, Southern California. You're gonna have a lot of people living there, but it's more spread out than say New York City. So. How do you efficiently build that? Suburbs. Yeah, build them right next door to yeah. each other, right on top of each other. Everybody's got the same house. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got the same lawn. Right. Everybody's got the same everything. Yeah, and so that that actually spread because my, my uncle was a contractor and he, he refused that. He refused the model of every house looks the same and he would like try spec to... houses. Yeah, he yeah. would try to design his houses to go with the lot, like trying to make it oh, cool. fit well with the lot. He, he hated this idea. What kind of happened with this is that <laughs> instead of Build or uh, designing your own house, you could just buy the blueprints for this house and then reproduce it. So it became cheaper to build these neighborhoods, and cheaper is always better when trying to make money, right? Doesn't matter that the product you're going to sell is going to end up being inferior and just plain and dull. Yeah. Well, prefab is always just the quickest way to go right. for you know, massive, cheap, reproducible sales. Yeah, no I mean, thought put into it. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I like all these little Starbucks kiosks and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Like whatever, it's ready-made, it's prefab. There it is. Just stick it in the place. It's uh-huh. done, you know? Yeah, I think that definitely the, the message of consumerism mm-hmm. and how it was invading American families and being sold as a positive thing yeah. during this time period is very, very heavily pervasive yeah. through this movie. And one thing you can't help but notice is just how many name brand articles, licenses, right. products, uh-huh. everything are in this movie. Like Typically, whenever you watch flicks, it's like... People are drinking soda out of a can labeled soda. Right. Or beer that's just marked beer. Beer, yeah. There are so many name brands, and Uh they make a point to show them to you. You know, I imagine it's early product placement. I mean, Steven Spielberg is always so deliberate, though. He's that's what I'm saying. He's always been ahead of the curve on that. I'm sure he sat down with people and said, "Hey, you want a Coke can in a Steven Spielberg movie?" 
I mean, the the list of name brand things that I have laid out here of just stuff that I just noticed kind of casually watching the movie are Lay's potato chips, uh-huh. Star Wars, right? Tons uh, of Star Wars, tons of which Star is Wars actually stuff. accurate because my brother had all the Star Wars that stuff. That shit in the was world. the bomb. Yeah, uh, the the Rams. Toys R Us, mm-hmm. Tweety Bird, Captain mm-hmm. America. Uh-huh. Make a big point. Uh, and the Captain Incredible America. Hulk. Yes, and the Incredible uh-huh. Hulk. The Dodgers, Alien, Sesame Street, Clue, Rubik's Cube. They mentioned Town and Country, Pizza Hut, Budweiser, Cheetos, Ritz Crackers, Clorox. Uh-huh. Like, there's so many name brand things that are yeah. shown on screen. Okay, it could be product placement, but it's probably more of an attempt to capture what it's really like to be in a suburban family's home yeah it's just you're gonna see those products yeah i think so Uh, one product though that you mentioned we should talk about in particular pizza hut (laughs) led to some great edits of the movie so there's an edit in this movie (laughs) that is inexcusable and would make any other movie unwatchable it is horrifically piss poor it's the scene where there's uh, joe beth williams is showing to Craig T. Nelson that the the chair slides in the kitchen and then the little girl slides. Yeah, and she's like, girl, we're going to get pizza for dinner. Mom didn't right, cook. Right, and the little girl's saying you're going to get Pizza Hut. So they're in the middle of this conversation about the stuff sliding, and then suddenly they're in front of their neighbor's door, knocking on the door. I mean, it cuts mid-sentence. Uh-huh. It, it was like a record fucking skipped. And the story has been that... The line that we do know the line was that he said, I hate Pizza Hut. But there was also other stuff said. They they apparently couldn't find any way to cut around it or really? to reshoot to AD, make it make sense. ADR that shit. Just anything. Yeah, I mean, do a they shot that's the back of his head and ADR, I'm not in the mood for pizza. So you know? people, people have speculated that Pizza Hut demanded they take it out of the movie. And here's the thing that makes me question everyone's speculation here. Pizza Hut didn't see the movie. (laughs) Well, what you don't know is in this time period, every movie had to be screened by Big Pizza. Right. Before it could go out. Yeah, to see if it met the pizza regulation board's requirements of what needed to be shown in movies. So I I would really like to know what happened because definitely Pizza Hut didn't see the movie. That means most likely... There's no way that Toby Hooper or anybody else involved with this would have just been like, all right, we'll just chop that. It had to have been an executive too late in the game said, take out those frames and splice it. Yeah. You cannot tell me that a filmmaker like Steven Spielberg and his editor that he was working with and Toby Hooper and everybody would just be like, I don't know, just fucking cut it mid-sentence and go to this next thing. Who cares? You can't tell me they would. I thought that the version of the movie I was watching was wrong when that happened because I didn't remember it. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? It feels like whenever you used to watch something on like a, a dirty DVD or Blu-ray right, and, and it, it would just, just like skip forward skip. suddenly. That's exactly what it felt yeah. like. Actually, I remember the first time that I watched this, that's what I thought was going on because I have it on it DVD. Yeah. It was like, oh, it skipped. So you rewind back and it's like, no, that's that's just in the movie. That is it. Yeah. It it's is crazy. bad. It's bad, real bad. bad. And, and, and it's that's weird for a movie that has very few flaws, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. It's just such a glaring one though yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think that the way that this movie is about consumerism uh infiltrating the american family 
I think is very clearly stated whenever the movie starts with the national anthem, uh-huh. which is what used to air on TV as the TV station yeah, was closing down. Right. I remember, I think it was like three in the morning is when that would happen. Yeah. I remember TV stations used to it. shut down, y'all. Yeah. For a few hours. They'd just be like, we'll just not have anything on. Yeah. Yeah. Before every channel became 24 hour Man, programming. sucked back in the day to be on cocaine if you didn't have cable. <laughs> What is there to do? More cocaine, I guess. <laughs> Let's just watch that uh, fuzz on the channel. <laughs> watch the static. <laughs> but it starts with that, and then the fact that the movie ends with them kicking the TV out of the hotel room. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of showing us that this is where all of these... You know, it's the, the portal. It it's is, the portal, yeah. yeah. It's the nexus. It's the portal for consumerism. It's the portal for all that they're seeking after yeah. yeah and it's kind of showing you too that it's like if you're watching this movie and you're getting so terrified about the idea of ghosts and other forces entering your home yeah why aren't you scared about things like consumerism and violence and everything else that right. tv can spread also entering your home why right. is that not scary to you i think yeah. it's something this movie is trying to put out i mean there's that one point where Carol Ann is sitting there in front of the TV just watching Static, and her mom's like, get away from that. You're going to burn your eyes out or whatever. And she's like, here, put something on. She puts on, like, war footage uh-huh. right in front of her kid. Like, right. she does... They, they don't care what the kids are watching yeah. on TV whatsoever. Which is was true in the 80s, honestly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, parents had no idea until they all got pissed off about The Simpsons. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? I remember a that being a huge thing. boy hell? <laughs> In a cartoon? No. It's going to confuse the children. Someone please think of the children. (laughs) There's a character from The Simpsons. Oh, there you go. But you know, one thing in this movie that really struck me this time, dude, that I wanted to talk to you about and see if I'm just, if I'm really just like pulling at at dumb threads here or something that's here. There's a lot of strange dualities. Okay. Throughout this movie. All right. Where almost anything that could be perceived as being scary in this movie has another side of it that is maybe presented in a different way that is completely normal and okay. 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 So, like, for example, like I said just a second ago, the TV is introducing all these new forces and things mm-hmm. into your house, but spiritual forces, oh, no, that's fucking scary and stuff, right? Right. But there's other things that I caught this time that are very blatantly shown. Okay. Okay, so earlier on in the movie, whenever Robbie is there in his bedroom and he's getting all freaked out about the tree and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He goes into his parents' room. He brings his dad back. He's telling about how he's scared of the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dad is like, that tree's been here longer than any of us. It knows everything about us. And he's doing it in this very like loving, like, no, it's safe. It's good kind right. of way. Later on... I think it's Zelda is telling him about how the beast knows everything about him and knows everything that's oh. going through the heads and stuff. Like the same lines, but it's scary in that context. Right. But it wasn't scary when dad was talking about this tree. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There's other stuff too where, okay. And again, this is just one of those things that is a direct duality. Early on in the movie, that same scene actually, when the parents are in there smoking pot and stuff. Right. And uh, the mom is talking about how maybe Caroline was sleepwalking. And she's like, I had this experience where I sleptwalked when I was a kid. I wound right. up in the back of another guy's car. They had me check yeah. for hickeys. Mm-hmm. She specifically says hickeys. Yeah. She says then, back of a car mm-hmm. and hickeys. Right. Also, we find out that she was like 15, maybe 16 when she had their first kid. Right. 
like that's one of those things that's kind of like mentioned whenever the paranormal people are talking with Craig T. Nelson. Mm-hmm. They're like, how old's your wife? And he's like, oh, she's 31, 32. How old's your daughter? 16. You do the math right there and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. so she was 15 or 16 when she had right. this kid. Now, whenever the mom is telling the story about waking up in the back of this guy's car and being checked for hickeys, she's like just laughing it up. And we as viewers are just kind of laughing it up too. Yeah. Later on in the movie though, whenever we see the daughter get out of the car... Yeah. Again, like gets right out of the back the of the car. Yeah. She's got hickeys all over. It's not very funny then, is it? No. It's not. It's this There's direct... No, no laugh to it. Yeah. No, exactly. But it's funny when the adults look back and talk yeah. about it. You know? Huh. Um, there's this huge emphasis in this movie about remote-controlled objects moving on their own. Yeah. yeah, there is. And how that's not scary, but when it's poltergeist activity, it's terrifying. Like, one huh. of the first things in the fucking movie is we have that, that the adult on the, the bike. case of beer yeah. on a bike. Which, again, another duality right up front. Yeah. At first, whenever it's showing the wide shots of the suburbs and stuff like that, it's showing kids on bikes. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you get is a grown-up on a bike. And suddenly, that's funny to us. Yeah. Kids on bikes, normal. normal. Adult on a bike, funny. Weird, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, he gets knocked off his bike by these kids playing with remote control cars. Mm-hmm. Okay. The TV in the next scene is changing, although automatic, as if automatically. Right. Of course, it's just a remote war right. thing going on. Later on in Caroline's room, there's also that little robot that's walking right. on its own that does like the little laugh. Uh huh. But then later on, whenever there's stuff that's moving on its own, like the stuff flying through the room or uh-huh. the kid getting scooted across the floor, that's scary then. Yeah. Okay. Are you seeing what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think he's it's one introducing of those things. all these these early ideas in innocent ways so yes. that he can pervert them. Exactly. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Because even earlier on in the movie, whenever we have Tweety die, yeah. right? They bury the the bird in the cigar box, which is preceded by that adorable scene. Yeah, Caroline is like for when he's sleepy, he's lonely. Oh my Aww. god, just adorable. And um, so we've got them burying the thing. The dog immediately starts trying to dig it up. Uh-huh. Robbie's up in the tree like, can we dig it up? We'll look at the bones later. Yeah. Later on, it shows the construction crew digging, digging up it. through the pool, and it digs up the cigar box. And the bones. Yeah. They're not- bones, but I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. It, he says, well, can we see the bones later? Yeah. Later, we do see the bones. Later we do see the but bones. But not of that from all sorts of dead folk. Yeah. But it's just showing us, like, whenever we see the dog... You know, trying to unbury this bird or even the mm-hmm. bulldozer uncovering it. It just seems like, oh, just cute suburban funny stuff. Yeah. But then later on when we find it other gets, things that were buried under yeah. the house, it gets terrifying. You're right. Huh. I think it's all about yeah. presenting an idea that seems innocent and then perverting it yeah. later. Well, and that's, again, that goes back to what we were talking about at the American Dream. Yeah. The, the opening of this... Uh, subdivision is that wonderful like light music and we're seeing all the happy it doesn't sound like a horror movie soundtrack at all no no but then by the end you just want to get the hell out of that subdivision it's the worst place in the world to be Yeah. yeah and also too did you notice that early on on the tv they're watching some movie where it's it seems like it's maybe like two soldiers or something yeah and one of them's like he doesn't even know that he's dead. Right. Yeah. I, I meant to look up or I did look it up. I, I didn't write it down, but yeah, that, that in that movie, that is the idea is that there's a character who's dead and he's being introduced into the afterlife. Other than the football, everything they watch on TV is in black and white. Oh yeah. Which seems to imply that everybody that they're watching on screen is dead. Yeah. 
huh, having that kind of ghost in your house isn't scary. No. Like, whenever you have the TV on and you're watching Casablanca, all you're watching fucking dead. ghosts in your yeah, house. They're all dead. They're all dead. They're not scary. But it's not scary. Yeah. Right. I think that these are all things that maybe are yeah. subliminal psychological things that he did to kind of fuck with us. And I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. For sure. The, this definitely had a good screenplay to work off of. Yeah. And it all comes together really well in the end. I I mean, other other than my disdain of ghost Subject hunting matter. bullshit. Yeah. Like... I still think it works, though, because of all the things we're talking about. All the actual messages to the film aren't, aren't about actual ghosts. Yeah. They're about, they're about specters, for sure. They're about the things that haunt us, the things that are always there, that always drive us and drive us away, which is, you could say capitalism, you could say uh, conformity normalcy yeah, yeah. whatever it is that whatever that thing is that is always driving us away from it while we are also constantly drawn into it that's what this movie is more about it's not about real ghosts it's no. not about a real poltergeist and that's why i think it's interesting that the ghost hunters and the the zelda rubenstein they actually fail yeah. At this. It's got that thing we talked about with, with The Exorcist, where it's like, yeah. ultimately, it, none of it worked. Yeah, it didn't work. No. All all they were able to do is find Carol Ann, but they didn't get rid of the poltergeist at all. And they couldn't possibly, it seems. It seems like nothing they would do could get rid of it, because it's a representation of all these things, and, and that, that constant specter of normalcy i guess is what i'm trying to say that specter of normalcy that you you always want to try to be as normal as you can but normal is such a slippery thing mm. that while you're trying to be it it's also haunting you yeah and that's what this seems to indicate is that while you're trying to be this suburban ideal it's also haunting you and yeah. it's also making you unhappy yeah, I think yeah. so. And it's just mm-hmm. a trap, ultimately. Yeah. You know, a big consumer trap. Wow. And, of course, this is all told through some really fucking great practical special effects. Yeah. It was one of the first things that really impressed me about this movie when I ever watched it the first time is that the special effects in it are pretty fucking dope. There's yeah. a few that aren't great, but there are some in here mm-hmm. that are just so sick, man. And there's some early CG that... Uh, like the spectral stuff is cool, but like say when they open up the the bedroom and like the the record that's spinning that didn't you need can, to be there. Yeah, you can tell that that's CG and like it's not even good CG because you can see through the record, but you shouldn't be able to. Well, I think it's more like those things that they did even like Star Wars and stuff where it's more of like film overlaid on yeah, top of film. It's just overlaid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just early non practical. Let's call it non practical. Non practical. Non in camera. Right. Special effects. You know. Yeah. yeah. Some of those things didn't necessarily need to be there. No. It shows like the but Hulk flying. I bet up they on looked screen. cool back then when you saw them in yeah, like '82. I'm sure it looked awesome. Yeah. I would I would have been okay if that was toned down. Mm-hmm. But there are some other really cool ones that really did impress me. Like one that that kind of took me by surprise is the the rotating room scene with the mom right, towards the yeah. end, whenever the ghost is kind of going uh-huh. after this, this invisible force. Yeah, which I got to thinking about it, and this predates Elm Street. Elm Street, yeah, by two years. So yeah. that that had to have been a huge influence on Wes Craven. Yeah, like I think about. Elm Street and I think about that rotating room sequence where she's getting all shredded and stuff mm-hmm. 
And I'm just like, oh my God, that's so innovative. That's so amazing. Right. And then you realize like, well, Poltergeist did it two years earlier. Uh-huh. It wasn't as, it wasn't as good. It wasn't no, as gruesome. It wasn't. I, the but room still. was too big, I think, was the problem for me. Yeah, I know, right? The, the room's a bit small, smaller in Nightmare on Elm Street, and that makes it... I don't know. It, it makes it seem more dangerous. It seems to be moving faster, whereas this yeah. one seems to be moving really slow. Yeah, it's true. Nothing really quite seems like out of control. Yeah. And uh, whenever she gets out, there's that huge... For some reason, I just call it like the walker kind of demon thing. It's that, that big like stilt yeah. demon that makes the lion roar. Uh-huh. That thing is fucking it sick. Is. It looks like they shot it maybe underwater because its hair has kind of that spectral, like yeah. floaty thing that I really like. On it. Yeah, I like that effect a lot. That's interesting. It's real interesting, like because when we see that spectral stuff early in the movie, it's like a positive. It like it comes down the stairs, and that's like one that of my music. favorite effects right there. Yeah, yeah, but that same spectral light is this demon later. Yeah. So, Dude, yeah. that scene whenever they all see that that thing appear on the stairs, and it seems like it's maybe like an angel or something yeah. like that. It looks like it's just like made of light and this flowy garment stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, you never see a face. No. Which I love. I love the fact that you never really clearly can tell what it is. You know it's humanoid, mm-hmm. and it seems light and flowing, but that's about it. And then they watch on like the camera replay, and it's like there's a bunch of them coming down the stairs. Yeah. I love that effect Looks that really is cool. so cool to me that's one of those ones that like has aged fantastic yeah you know what i mean and uh i also like to the scenes with the tree whenever it's like eating robbie uh-huh. i think those still look pretty dope because yeah. they're like surreal yeah. to me it's not necessarily that it looks like wow it really looks like a tree is eating a kid yeah it just has this like what the fuck is going on here factor where suddenly there's this mouth in the tree and the tree's like all slimy and gnarled looking yeah. and it's sucking this kid up and this kid's screaming bloody murder. And fucking Steven's little childhood up for sure. Oh my God, dude. dude uh, I've mentioned I, it before. Like I grew up with a tree that looked just like that outside of my window, dude. It was, I mean, we talked about it on, I think evil dead too. We talked right, about yeah. like scary trees. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's like, Trees can be very scary as a child, and this scene did not help me at all. Oh, my God. All. The way the branches, like, busting through the window mm-hmm. was always one of those things I was so scared of as a kid, which, like, you know, would be more than a decade before I even saw this movie. Thank mm-hmm. God, or else that tree would have mortified <laughs> me. But, like, this huge, gnarled, ugly old tree that was outside of my window as a kid, you know, whenever there'd be big storms and stuff the branches are like scrape up against the windows and do all mm-hmm. kinds of terrifying shit. And there were so many moments that I remember thinking like, it's going to fucking bust in my window yeah. in the middle of the night. You know, this movie does a really good job of, I think playing up some of those childhood fears, mm-hmm. you and, know? And that, yeah. That's yeah. Robbie's fears in this movie were Steven Spielberg's fears as a kid clowns and a tree that was outside of his room. See, that's the thing is like, I remember having those toys as a kid that you had and you liked and maybe you played with and stuff, but in the middle of the night, they'd scare the shit out of you. Yeah. Like I've told you my brother with that fucking Snuffleupagus uh-huh. toy that we had. He yeah. would just torment me with and stuff. Yeah. I remember having stuff like that where it's like, I love it, but also I'm scared of it. Childhood is crazy. Yeah. Being it a kid really is. Weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And the clown thing in this is very much a representation of that. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, it might even be, because, like, I remember every time 
going to people's houses and it always seemed like there was that one toy they didn't exactly want. Yeah, but they didn't get rid of either. Yeah, because like their grandma gave it to them or whatever and their mom said they have to keep it in their room. Oh yeah, totally. And that's what that clown seemed like to me. Yeah, no kid really wants to play with that. Yeah, no kid wants that. They never do play with it. It sits in its own chair by itself. Yeah, but if Grammy comes over and you don't have it out, it's going to hurt her feelings. It's going to hurt her feelings (laughs) that you don't want to play with her creepy fucking clown oh my god that thing is terrible yes it is that thing is just awful and like towards the end of the movie it's arms grow all fucking long and it's strangling the kid apparently the the prop was like malfunctioning and it actually was actually strangling, strangling the kid, yeah <laughs> that sucks. that's scary <laughs> had to be pretty fucking mortifying as a yeah. kid to do that what do you think about like the face rip scene where the uh, dude yeah, rips that his face really off? fun that's that's just uh just such an interesting idea of looking in the mirror and you know popping something or scratching something but like it's like a body how, horror element how that would become worse yeah and just get entirely into shredding your own face it's off. like very cronenberg yes in the middle of this movie, a lot right? of cronenberg to it yeah well, let's talk about leading up to that scene because dude is like staying up late trying to do his paranormal thing and is like you know what i'm hungry I'm going to go make a steak. Yeah, that's odd. He's going a little <laughs> overboard on this Atticus yeah. thing. Because he goes to the he goes to the, the kitchen there and he gets... I'm going to go fire up the skillet. Yeah. Make me a steak in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. Because people just normally have a steak that isn't, you know, pre-planned out for a meal <laughs> right. in their fridge. I people just keep those purposeless the steaks. the way in the 80s. Yeah, I maybe. Think about it. Maybe everybody just ate steak. While smoking. (laughs) But dude, his food handling skills are subpar. He pulls that thing out of there. And I guess it was just sitting. Just sitting in there. On the fridge. As a steak. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't wrapped up or on a plate (laughs) or anything. That's how steaks work. Yeah. He picks up that steak barehanded, raw. Uh Also picks up a chicken wing, starts eating it. He's just asking for foodborne illness immediately. Puts it on the counter. Also not on a plate. Yeah, that's gross. This guy is just willy nilly. With he's his just, raw meat handling. He's probably going to eat it well done, so he doesn't care. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think his hallucinations were brought about by trichinosis. I don't think there's anything <laughs> spiritual that about guy, that. That guy, just, he was fucked up. He, yeah. He was eating all sorts of crazy shit. There's a deleted scene where he also was shitting his pants violently <laughs> as all this stuff was going as, on. With his face off. He's just staring in the mirror with <laughs> yeah. no face shit <laughs> coming the, out of his butt. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate terror. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd yeah. be funny. <laughs> oh man, I, I think they probably should have cut to the dummy head a little later. Like yeah, it's like yeah, in the like, shots not not great in that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's four phases of his facial deconstruction, and they cut to the dummy head at like two. Yeah, it's a when it's too like soon. it should have gone from his face to his face with some cuts and blood, right? Then to the dummy with the skin falling off. Yeah, of it, you know. So, yeah, too much dummy. Too much dummy. You just dummied it up. But so, still very cool and very shocking and strange. I love whenever the bodies and stuff shoot up at the end. Uh-huh. Like, it looks like they really have some big propulsion and stuff behind them when the mm-hmm. coffins are shooting up out of the ground. It That scene reminded me immediately of Phenomenon. Or Phenomena. Oh, yeah. Phenomenon. Badario. Badario Argento. Episode hey, number one. Yeah, our first episode. I, I am assuming Dario Argento was going for that. He was just thinking like, 
We cut the rain, we add more light. And maggots. Lots of the worms. Just maggots everywhere. <laughs> Maggot pool. <laughs> oh, Jump in there, man. Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> I love that movie. It's cool. It's so yeah. fucking strange. And I really enjoyed, too, the effect that they did at the very end whenever the house is like imploding on mm-hmm. itself. Did you read how they did that? No. Okay, this is fucking crazy. They spent a ton of money and made like a scale model of the house, right? Okay. They put this model of the house on this special table that had this like hole in the middle of it that was attached to this super strong vacuum. Okay? So there's like this vacuum suction table that this house was on. Uh Uh-huh. They filmed it with a camera that was filming like 300 frames per second, right? Oh. They had several different effects guys stand around the house and blow it away with 12-gauge pump-action shotguns as the vacuum pulled the pieces of the house down. Wow. How crazy is that? That's a cool... I mean, effects people... Back are, then, are dude, like MacGyver. Amazing. Like, they could just come up with yeah. anything. How can we make this look like a house is imploding? I don't know. We make a model, put it on a vacuum table, and blow it away with shotguns while we film it in slow motion. And now you just send it to the CGI guys, and they just turn it into yeah. that and it's not fun but that's still no one of those effects that like you look at and you're like how did they do that it looks so fucking it cool does. it looks really cool i didn't know i didn't know any of that so that was really cool to find out pretty neat stuff in there man yeah i really enjoy it now let me ask you one thing about the ask. pacing of this movie because this movie does something that would become a definite horror trope which is the kind of fake-out ending. They yeah. get this house is clean. They get this rebirth scene yeah. where the mom and the baby come out, and they're all covered in jello and stuff yeah. and put in the tub. Everything seems good. They're going to move, but they're still going to sleep in the house, but they're going to go to a hotel. Oh, that was unclear. No, it was very unclear, and the husband had to leave for no reason at all. For story. For story. I have to leave for story. Okay. Anytime somebody says that to you, just know. Something bad's going to happen while they're really gone. Really bad things are going to yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. I think whenever I just leave people's houses, I'm just going to start doing that now. I have to leave for story. For story purposes, I have to leave. I'm like, <laughs> what is he talking about? Hello, welcome. I am Gentleman. <laughs> what? What? So there towards the end, yeah, it seems like everything's okay. The mom's in the house. She's just getting rid of her rogue hair that she has. I would have left the rogue hair. I would too. I thought it looked cool. Yeah. And uh, that's when shit starts going south. And we get this this last, what, maybe 20 20 minutes of the movie, which is when the real roller coaster begins. Yeah, it's it's about 20 minutes of the movie, but I think about five minutes are are the closing credits. Yeah. So it's only about 15 minutes, but for me, it drags. Really? Yeah. I like it. For me, I hate the fake out. I wish the fake out had been this. Like, if the instead of all that happening, if right before they brought Zelda in, all that stuff had happened, it would have made way more sense. Because you would get why Steven would be leaving. You'd get why things would be escalating. Yeah. And then you bring in the investig or you bring in Zelda and she cleans the house and you have your triumphant ending instead what you have here is uh, but I, I mean this is just for haunted ha- haunted house movie purposes i don't want that in this case though i get why steven spielberg is doing it he's setting a- about this like this false idea that you can somehow cleanse the 
American dream that you can somehow fix it and make it good again. Yeah. And what he's saying is, no, you got to destroy it. Got it. So in that case, I, I like it. I think it progresses the story for a horror movie. I don't like it because I think it takes a lot of the tension out and then brings it back out of nowhere. Hmm. But to fit the theme of the movie, it's, it's good storytelling. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I can under, I can understand what you're saying right there. I I love it. I love too that it shows like it gives it gives the mom time to shine and be a badass. Mm-hmm. She does get to be a badass. That's true. You know, because it's like she doesn't yeah. have the spiritual advisors there. She doesn't have her big strong husband there. Yeah, it's just like mom kicking ass and saving her kids. Yeah, that is really cool. You know, and I like that about it too. She's but not it, just like a a, a you know a, a tame useless. 80s housewife mom i feel like it fine it kind of feels so chaotic too yeah yeah it feels like all pandemonium and yeah all hell is breaking loose but again it does bring in another element of you know the theme of suburban hell that her neighbors don't seem to care about any of her problems like she's trying to convince the guy to come in and his wife is like no don't go in there like don't go with that lady yeah they're crazy Uh, and it's like she needs help crazy that that's how it is even in this very intense moment but uh, he's he's showing us a very clear idea about suburbia so it works it works and i i don't i don't entirely hate it and i i guess it is necessary so i'm not going to complain about it too much gotcha yeah did you catch the the subtle shining reference in here Mm-mm. so early in the movie whenever uh, the tv people as caroline right. calls them come through the tv the TV is on channel 237. Is it? Yeah. Huh. And then at the very end of the movie, like the last hotel room that you see as the camera is like zooming out is room 217. Okay. Which are the rooms from the Shining yeah. Book and movie. And of yeah. course, like, uh, I, I want to say it was it, uh, was it the first or second Indiana Jones movie it was being made at Pinewood Studios right next to the Shining Whenever it it would have been the filmed. first. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been the first because that was 1980. And Spielberg right. and Kubrick had a lot of... Yeah, they were friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And fans of each other's work and stuff. So that seems That's to be really a bit cool. of a cool like yeah. little homage that's hidden in yeah, there. Yeah, and so that would be... that The indication would be there that unlike The Shining where the it goes through craziness to get to 237... We start at 237. The craziness yeah. is where we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to escape from that. Imagine if The Shining started in room 237. Right. Yeah. Huh. Really cool stuff, That's cool. Really, yeah. really neat. I love this movie, dude. It's yeah, one it's of great. those it's ones movie. that just... It's a classic. It looks great. It sounds great. It's acted mm-hmm. great. Great special effects. Again, I love the pacing. Like, There's a lot of moments in this movie that I think could have gotten long and boring. That scene where like Zelda is talking for probably a solid five or six minutes nonstop. Is that the whisper scene? Yes. There are a lot of whisper scenes, but there that are. one in particular. Yeah, where she's talking about like there's a light and it's the source of all knowledge and yeah. thus it's the beast and all that all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a weird beat in the movie, but also mm-hmm. the soundtrack is selling it like fucking so hard. It's it great. Really is. And also, yeah, the scene with the uh, the other paranormal lady where she's like, it's the light of all lights and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Where she's like whispering. Yeah. I love the fact that that entire thing is done in that that whisper tone. Because yeah. it's nighttime and the kids are asleep and stuff. Right. It just makes it so much more like real and intimate. I agree. So good, man. I really enjoy this. And this is one of those old classic flicks that to me still 
really, really holds up. It does. And it still just stands on its own as a good movie. Not just a good horror movie, a good movie. So, you know? Just before we rate it, are you excited for the next remake? Fuck no. Are they already doing another remake? Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Made by the Russo brothers, though. So Which I'm ones interested. are they? They, they made Captain America movies, uh, oh. Avengers, etc. They also worked on Community and Arrested Development. Oh. So I'm interested in it. I'm wondering what they're going to do. But I don't think this movie needs a remake. Fuck no, man. Even 38 years later or whatever. Like, just let it be what yeah, it is. Yeah, leave it be. It's yeah. fine as is, man. Yeah. Yeah, if they do a remake of this, it definitely needs to be something different. It needs to take a new spin on things. And I hopefully think, they do. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe it'll be one of those where we're like, hey, good remake to watch. Poltergeist, not 2015. <laughs> Poltergeist again. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe they're going to make Haint. <laughs> I hope you so. Know? I hope it's going to be Haint. It might be that. Yeah. You know what? Maybe if they did a new millennial spin on this thing and it's like everybody living in tiny houses. Oh, Wow. <laughs> or nobody being able to buy a house. Yeah, it's just rentals. Everywhere yeah. rentals. Right. Nobody owns anything. Damn. <laughs> now, see, it's like that kind of stuff. Okay, spin, that could work. That yeah. could work, actually, because yeah. that's like a new form of hell where it's just yeah. like you just, for the rest of your life, you just pay me money. You work yeah. for me to own your house that you don't own. I mean, honestly, when I saw that there was going to be another remake, I was like, eh. But then when I saw Russo Brothers, I was like, they have not made right. anything bad. I'll give it so a chance. I'll give it a shot. Give it the old college try. You got any final thoughts about this thing? You want to write this thing up, Steve? Yeah, this movie's great. It, yeah. It's not scary to me, but it was scary as a kid, which is exactly what it's trying to capture, is the fears of childhood and how the certainties of adulthood are just fears wrapped in a nice little package mm. that looks nice, but on the inside is chaos. That's a message that's never going to go out of style, I don't think. It's just true. So, Steven Spielberg, great. Whatever Toby Hooper did to this, also great. The cast, awesome. I really think the story works very... It's a very, I would say, slim down version of what somebody might make. Like the remake. Yeah. Like this, it keeps very tight on the family and tries to keep the story in the house. So we're not exposed to this whole huge world of things. We're really just dealing what's going on with this family. And that makes you care about them. And it makes you feel like you're, you know, more invested. So it's a success at the end of the day. Uh, It's a classic. It's a nine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. It does so many things right, and it does so many things to draw you in and make you connect with this family and relate to this family and relate with this movie, too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have this grimy, teal fucking filter on it to make everything look otherworldly and strange. It doesn't have a big, spooky, horror movie, ominous soundtrack. Right. It has this big, magical, like, it sounds like it could be in, like, any other wonderful childhood Spielberg movie. Right. Which makes it all the more surprising 
It gets your guard down, you know, whenever the bad stuff starts happening. Because Mm -hmm. you'd been kind of sold this image of like suburban magical life with white people in California. Uh Just kidding, demons. (laughs) Haints and boogers. Oh, no, haints. (laughs) Boogers to the left, haints to the right. Stuck in the middle with you. (laughs) And the fact that the family is just so normal and relatable, too, just Mm -hmm. makes you get drawn in even more and give a shit about these characters. Yeah, so I think it's one of those things that let it be known that if you want to make people care about what's happening, give them something to relate to. Yeah. And that's probably a better start than just trying to play off some kind of weird, spooky, grimy horror movie trope scenario that doesn't really exist in real life, you know? Yeah. I love this movie. I'll watch it a million more times. I think I'm with you. I think it's a 9 out of 10. I can't really tell you what I would do to make it a 10 out of 10. I guess just some of the special effects and stuff and that one horrible edit. there, that edit. Gosh. Yeah. That's just like... I can't think of any other classic piece of, of film history where there's something so... Glaringly bad. Glaringly bad right in the middle of the movie that is so out of place, too, because nothing else is bad. No, uh uh-uh. Like, nothing else is going to look too bad, especially if you saw it in 82 and not in high def. I'm sure you wouldn't even notice any problems with practical effect. Yeah, but that that edit just... uh, You could even fix it now. I don't know why they haven't gone back and fixed it now. Just take some of the old footage, do some ADR maybe... Craig T. Nelson's still around. I mean, they should just basically make it so instead of him saying, I don't like Pizza Hut, he just goes, I like Pizza Hut. I like Pizza Hut. <laughs> just cut out the don't. Yeah. Rebranding. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I like Pizza Hut. And then Pizza Hut can also have Poltergeist Pizza. Yeah. Yeah, that won't leave you for like a week. <laughs> you eat it and you just get acid reflux. It just won't go away. <laughs> yeah, it just haunts you forever. <laughs> and then Zelda Rubenstein shows up. <laughs> you know, one thing I got to mention, Steve, before we start talking about next week's episode and stuff, is that today we woke up to the news that we lost a, a horror icon. We did. Sid Haig. Sid Haig, man. R.I.P. Yeah, I mentioned on the Devil's Rejects episode that he had he had gone into the hospital. Yeah. And yeah, just today he died. So Sucks, man. Yeah, R.I.P. A legend. Really great actor. At least, I'm, one awesome thing you got to know when you're on your deathbed is you at least got to finish you know, the, the trilogy of House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Three from Hell, where, like, you're considered a legend, and the last movie you do is part of a legendary franchise. Like, that's really cool that he got to do that, at least. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad he got to close that, that chapter out. And I've been hearing a lot of good things about Three from Hell as well. I have, too. I've heard yeah. that it's pretty fucking I've good. Seen, I've seen some negative reviews, but mostly positive. Well, I definitely want to check it out. I think it's playing October 4th at Central Cinema here It is, in and then it comes out October 15th on streaming and, and you know, DVD and Blu-ray. Okay, so we'll do like a mini episode or something yeah, we'll on that whenever uh, we're able to see it. But yeah, R.I.P. said, hey, man, definitely sucks. I heard he was an awesome fucking guy. Yeah, I heard the same. Yeah, I've heard people really loved him. Yep, yep, yep. Well, next week on the show, Steve, we're going to be doing something a little, little different, a little freaky. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Yeah. What? Stay tuned for details. Watch the skies. Oh, what? Where? What's that? Where is it? Who? Who am I? Is that Superman? (laughs) 
Uh, Steve, I heard tell there's all kinds of new people throwing us their dollar papers on the Patreon. We got to say thanks. Yep. Here are our September shout outs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> our September shout outs. Joe Marquez, thank you for donating to Dead and Lovely. Marky Marquez represents. Joe Marky Marquez. That's his name. Uh huh. Luca Mokliak. Oh, Luca Mokliak wants to sleep with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua R. Robertson. Thank Joshua you. Robertson. <laughs> there, Robertson. Old <laughs> double R. <laughs> Robert Layton. Thank you. Thanks, Robert Layton. I can't think of anything funny to say about your name. You just got a cool name, I guess. Robert gets laid a ton. Whoa. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. And Zach Patton. Thank you, Zach. I salute you, General Patton. Oh, wow. Thanks for your money. Thanks, dude. Now, Steve, in the meantime, where can they support us and follow us on the internet? Uh, you can follow us at Dead Lovely Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Sure enough. Dead and Lovely Horror Movie Podcast Group on Facebook. We have a Discord if you want the link. It's on the Facebook, or you can email us. I'll send you the link. Email at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Yeah. Also, most important, patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely head on over there there's a few tiers on there but if you give five dollars a month to make it a pizza tier yeah you get to submit a movie title and we've been doing it monthly probably we'll keep up that i don't know why we wouldn't i enjoy it y'all pick good things y'all like things that are nice yeah you really do a lot of great titles so we we go in we we randomly select a title so far we've done i think like six I think different so. yeah. patreon picks so they've been good and too they have been so go on over there become a patron that's right that's right now you guys have been absolutely fantastic we really appreciate you guys checking out the show be sure to rate and review on itunes helps us out a lot so please be sure to go and do that and tune in next week for a very special reprise episode hopefully you guys are having yourselves a wonderful halloween season and uh, hopefully by next week, I'm not fucking moving and packing stuff into boxes and my arms don't feel like uh, like gummy worms. Gotcha. Oh, it sucks. Don't go into the line. <laughs> Bye, y'all. So I stumbled across something earlier this week that's making my life a little bit more bearable. I'm going to run this by you here Let's and see what it. you think about it. Maybe you adapt this into your lifestyle and it starts making just current state of affairs and stuff a little bit easier. Okay. So every time that you see a baby boomer, let's say saying something, sharing something, mm-hmm. uh, tweeting something, voting for something, mm-hmm. supporting something. <laughs> just doing anything. Just really. basically doing yeah. anything that you find just absolutely abysmally dumb and baffling. Mm-hmm. All that you need to do to make sense of this and make peace in your heart mm-hmm. is just remember this is the generation of people that thought Get Over It by the Eagles was the most badass song of all time. That is true. It's they like, love that song. At that point, once that was a thing, we should mm-hmm. have been like, they're doomed. Yeah. They're going to make dumb decisions yeah. the rest of their lives. I shouldn't have even acted surprised anymore. 
No. Yeah, we should have all... The writing like, was on the wall. Yeah, when yeah. Trump won, we should have all been like, oh, yeah. Well, of course, right, get over yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. If he would have come out... Don Henley's get over it. Dude, could you imagine if after they announced the presidency, That's he like, comes played. out to make the speech and it's <laughs> get over it? Uh-huh. All the baby boomers would have just like came in their jeans they immediately. Totally would, oh, yeah. my God. And they're playing get over it. I bet that's coming up. <laughs> if he gets reelected, get over it. Get over it. It's, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs>